Welcome to the very special edition of the Tactical Crouch, episode 187 here. Obviously, I'm still here. Joe's still here. We finally got rid of Jessica, so we're going to have three people on the show this time with good takes. No more hot takes. No more of, you know, Jessica's whatever that he's going to put out there that Joe eventually is going to make fun of on Twitter. We have instead, though, we got Unter, assistant coach of the Atlanta Rain. Max, how you doing? Eat shit, by the way. Um, that's just how we say hello in Australia, but... Dude, you're like physically yeah. land. You got you got all the players behind you. You're like, you're in your little um. Is that your practice room? I assume. Yeah, yeah. This is the practice facility. I'm doing pretty well. Eat shit to you too, Kev. Thank uh, you. Not everyone here today because it's a break day. Sick, but yeah, actually physically in Atlanta now, which is pretty nice. Uh, That's good, dude. It's taken a while. I mean, I remember you were like on your way to LA, and then you had to go to Hawaii. I think you were physically oh, yeah. in Hawaii as well, weren't you? It's like you, you did a little bit of a loop around, then you go from Hawaii back to Atlanta. I got my visa like on the day that we qualified for Hawaii. Like it got approved oh, wow. on the day. So wow. there was a long, long leg of travel ahead of me. It was like, I think I spent like 48 hours or something. Airports and planes on the way there. Because there's not a lot of flights from Australia to Hawaii at the moment. No, well, I can't imagine it would be. Oh, Seems like you guys have had some good results though, man. Like you, you joined the team and uh, Atlanta's been on the up and up. This episode brought to you by Battle Crab, Refined Bean, Bronzebot Buhal, Chare, Chris R34444, Fabled Steven, Hunter Tane, Cash67, Lolshin, Rexane, Sir Gerthalot, Warmer D, Yiska's Orpus Shower Gel, and Your Misery. You guys are basically table toppers for this particular stage in Countdown Cup as well. So, I mean, I think people are really curious. Like, what, what's been, the, what's the journey been like? We'll start from the top. I mean, like, you know, so you link up with this team. You start coaching them like I don't even remember when your first day on the team was officially, and uh, you know what's how how's the progression of the team gone since you joined? Uh, well, well, I joined like before the season had even started. I, I still joined in the preseason, so um, you know, I joined. We had a pretty rough stage one. Uh, like I, I got, I think I joined like two weeks before the season actually started, something like that. Wow. But um, you know, just like finding my groove with the team, like getting comfortable with everyone, and finding my place within the coaching staff, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, as the season's gone on, I feel like we've got, like, a stronger and stronger idea of, like, how we want to approach all of our matches, like, the philosophy of what we want to do, what kind of comps we want to be playing, that sort of thing, how we're looking to improve. And I feel like just as we've gotten deeper and deeper into the season, we've just, because we've solidified that, like, playing to our strengths, uh, things have Mm. gotten better and better. When it comes to kind of integrating into a team, um, Uh that's got to be kind of a, like you mentioned, it's got to be a weird process to kind of find your footing with the team. What was kind of different between, obviously this isn't your first foray within the Overwatch League. Um, could you kind of walk us and, and the audience through kind of figuring out exactly where you kind of fit? Is that something from the top down that kind of gets given to you? Like, okay, this is what we wanted you to do. We want you to look at like the micro and how teams, right. you know, is, is that is that kind of how it's gone or um, is it more kind of self-sufficient? So, well, when I joined the team, initially I was hired, like, on a, on a completely remote basis, so, like, no mm-hmm. intention of me coming here, and they hired me as, like, an individual coach, so they didn't really, they didn't really have any intent of me doing, like, macro reviews, things like that, they just wanted me to, like, watch over a lot of player point of views and give them all individual feedback, because they didn't have anyone that was, like, dedicated to giving people individual feedback. Gotcha. So, like, when I joined, it was kind of just, like, getting to know everybody, building a rapport with everyone, because, you know, you need to, mm-hmm. need to deliver feedback differently to different people, depending on you know, how, they, how they take it, things like that. So, when I joined, you know, it was, like, a lot a lot of watching player point of views, things like that, and just getting to know everyone so that I know how I actually want to like talk to everyone individually. Mm. Um, but then like as things progressed, you know, like I got more and more comfortable with the team. Like I just, you know, that role became like a lot less rigid, like very, very quickly. That became 
like I wanted to do more like team reviews, things like that as well. Because I think like just like shackling yourself to just like one role, like I'm only going to talk to the players about individual stuff. Like it's pretty limiting in that like, you know, the, the game's big picture. So just giving people individual feedback isn't really enough. So, you know, like once I was comfortable with the team, like friends with everyone, friends with all the staff, it's like way easier to just do a review for the whole team and not just mm. give people individual feedback. I mean, I think this is a good chance to just... Because of the fan, especially early on this year, because you you mentioned that you guys kind of struggle in the main melee, and I think everyone would kind of agree with that. And there's a lot of fan narratives out there that uh, sometimes, well, actually, generally, a lot of times, kind of inaccurate because they don't have the inside information. It's, probably, it's not really anyone's fault. It's just like no one really knows how things actually operate. And I think one of the prevailing like Atlanta Rain narratives that has been especially early on in the season that was, that was talked about a lot was like oh yeah you know atlanta they're that gatekeeper team again and oh yeah their coaching sucks and they have no coaching like oh it's just brand and legit again legit brand and legit rc again they got they have no one there people forget that you guys actually have a data analyst called danny i'm not gonna lie sometimes i forget as well um yeah he he's a quiet guy so <laughs> I mean, we yeah. were, you know, we, we were talking off show, like, you know, this Danny's actually done a decent amount of work for you guys. Okay. You were there since the preseason, which I think, I don't think anyone publicly even knew, really. Like, that's that seems like, uh, in everyone else's eyes, you showed up when the official announcement happened. I don't even know when the official announcement happened either. Um, so, yeah, it, it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like maybe even partway through the main melee, because, like, the team was losing and everyone's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, here, here are the things, yeah, the coaching sucks, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, behind the scenes you were kind of there the whole time so yeah no i was i think that's just like the that's just like the real opinion kind of thing where it's like i got the job and like if the team loses right after i get the job nobody's gonna blame me because you know there's already like a narrative like against the staff on the team but then as soon as the team starts to win it's like oh it's all under like he changed the team he revolutionized everything it's just, it's just <laughs> but you, you take shit, the credit really. take like, the credit quick it's your chance I'm... publicly take the credit now <laughs> yeah no i should just throw all the other coaches under the bus and take it. it's all me definitely wasn't here the whole time under so, yeah. it's gonna overthrow bro yeah, but it was no, like, I, I guess, so. you, I guess you, what, what you want to say, it's like, it was, it's a pretty oh, good team effort, yeah, though, because, yeah. like, you guys, um, you know, you've been working as, as a full coach yourself the entire oh, time, and, like, I mean, exactly. what, what, what has been the difference? What has been the difference before, between May and now, in your opinion? Obviously, like, you, you need a bit of time to get to know your team members, and get to know the staff and how that works, but, like, what's, how you guys go from a team in May Melee that struggled to now, where you're, like, kind of the, one of the top teams, if not the top team? Uh, well, I mean, I think in, in May, like, maybe we had a little bit of a different philosophy in terms of, like, how we wanted to, well, like, what stuff we wanted to work on, you know? Like, we wanted to be really good at everything, and we wanted to like, try and play to the meta as much as possible. But then after stage one, like, that just, you know, it just didn't work out, right? Like, we lost to shit teams in stage one, like, genuinely. And then, like, there were some balance changes that worked in our favor, so we were like, fuck it, let's just play into this as much as humanly possible all the time. So, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing ever since, in that, you know, now that they've buffed things that we're good at, and we've decided that we're just going to work on that and make it work, regardless of whether it works the first time we play it. Uh, it I feel like things have gone a lot better. So, I mean, if you, if you want a more like, specific thing, in stage one, it was like, we're kind of trying to force rush everywhere yeah. and like play dive in some other places. But, you know, now, like, you don't see a whole lot of Atlanta Rain playing dive. Um, you know, mm. we, play, we play a little bit on the cough this stage and we made that work. But overall, you know, like we started leaning more into like bunkerish or comps, run comps, things like that, and that's worked a lot better. So, when it comes to like not necessarily forcing things, um, I, I, I I think I kind of understand what you mean. Um, but when it comes to like you said on on cough in particular, um, do you guys still feel like you need to run dive, or is it just like certain sub map? Is it kind of a case by case basis? 
do you is there like this prevailing narrative or or idea behind the scenes when it comes to uh you know analyzing so the, the game at a pretty deep level that like there are certain points where you just kind of have to run dive and wrecking uh, ball yeah um yeah. well like for cot yeah. wrecking ball is just really good right there you know comps and comps things like that and we play that i mean like where mm. we also play like fair comps yeah. and like those have all worked really well for us like this stage we've played I think we've played on all except for one map. We've played dive on like all of them, and we've won like every single cough map that we've played in the stage. Just about like we're, we're practically a cough team at this point. We're winning so much cough. Um, like all of our matches, you know, when they come down to like, map five, I feel like we've, we've won those. So we're doing really well with the dive there. But then there are other maps like Anubis where it's like bunkery comps are just incredibly difficult um, because like just the map architecture, like it's really hard to not get kills traded if you're playing a bunker comp and you're all stacked so much. So there are some places where it's just too awkward to play a bunker comp. And then, you know, we just found, like, we found little subsets of dive where we feel it will be better, and we've made those work, too. So, like, this stage in particular, because you guys, you guys have been to Hawaii, like, twice now. You are, I would say, fairly likely to go this stage as well. You're 4-0 and zero currently. You're the only team that's 4-0. and zero. Could be a few other teams that go 4-0 and zero here, and we'll still have to see what happens in the, um, the knockouts, obviously. But, yeah. I mean, look, I'll be honest. Like, on this show, I was on Player Chat as well. I said the same thing, and a bunch of the other personalities said very similar things. But, like... There was a bit of doubt coming into the Countdown Cup where I, I think a lot of people were like, oh, Lanta Rain, we look at the bands, oh, we look at what Lanta are good at. The bands have banned away quite a decent amount of stuff that you guys were good at. Um, haven't really seen much of Atlanta Rain in terms of playing the non-Brawl type metas. You guys have been pretty heavily within Brawl. So moving away from that, I think I think a lot of us coming in for this stage, especially based on your strength of schedule as well, which is really mega hard. Um, something that we kind of touched on before we started the show as well. I think a lot of us were a little bit down on your chances of doing well the stage, but I mean, you've you've actually gone ahead wow. and just straight four zeroed, beaten everyone. Yeah. There were some close oh, games in there. Um, there was, you know, there were, what, 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 two th uh, two games that went to three and two map fives here. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did you guys overcome this stage in in a situation where the hair bands probably screwed you guys a little bit, and you guys had to make some changes, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the bands like really heavily shook up what we were doing for the previous two stages because, you know, like we, we were trying to play like rush stuff, we were playing bunker comps that had like a lot of Sigma in them, things like that. And then obviously the bands ruined all of that because there's no Lucia, there's no Sigma anymore. So rush is out of the question. Um, so, uh, so are like Sigma ish bunker comps. But I think that even though like we were expecting a tough stage, right? Like, a lot of our stuff had been like banned out and our opponents are going to be really hard i mean we came into it with the same philosophy that you know like if we figure out something that will work that like works to our strengths then we'll we'll make it work because mm. like it's an it's an extremely talented roster like 100 percent. i think in stage one maybe we we made some decisions in terms of like forcing things too hard like not trying to find the right counters but now that like all the meta's a little bit more flushed out and we kind of know what's going on uh, balance wise i think that it's been like a lot easier to just figure out what it is that we want to play and what we want to work on for individual maps like a few different archetypes to focus on sure when it yeah. comes to um to a little bit of specific um you mentioned that you know uh, this hero these hero bands kind of like shook up what you guys were doing but as i was you know before the show i was doing a little bit more kind of deep dive review um specifically against uh, florida recently um yeah. That that Symmetra pick on Havana, it felt kind of almost Lucio-esque, where you're kind of using uh, it kind of as a mobility uh, pick to try and, like, jump on the, the double snipers. Is that, like, are you trying to find bridges to kind of return back to that comfortable, that, that, that kind of comfortable style? Like, is that kind of the idea around the Symmetra as a whole? Uh, well, the Symmetra pick on Havana, it was like... Um... A lot of teams do like close holds and things like that with uh, Ryan comps. And then, mm. Like with the sim, you can get like cheeky picks by TPing behind them, things like that. So like there, there's a lot of value like 
for the defense, you can get more fights by playing so, and then for attack, like you can play someone's hold really quickly just by TPing behind them and getting like cheeky kills there. I think I'm pretty sure we lost Savannah versus Florida, and that, that's a pretty bad map for us. We performed pretty poorly, but I think like the the rationale there isn't too bad. In that, like no, first point, we just kind of we like blitz through the first point. Um, on our offense with the sim because we just got like we tp behind them broke their hold straight away tp onto their snipers got them yep. straight away it's so, like there are there are things you can do with it like it opens up some uh some opportunities at the same time like i don't think it's a mandatory pick or anything like that it's more mm. just like trying to do something a bit different because nobody was playing sim on attack for the map and we made no, it like, and that kind of returns to like what avra was saying oh, with like but... we i i i'll take the the blame and shoulder this for a second yeah, yeah. like I kind of perpetrated that that same narrative. It's like, I don't see where Atlanta can be kind of creative, but you guys have found so many different ways, whether that being, you know, peppering in your own kind of dive, allowing Pelican to get on the by, Farah. By, um, by picking Sim and losing Havana. That's, that was, uh, <laughs> well, well, the point, a was in, point A was really, really interesting because you guys kind of, I don't know if it was just, oh. you know, accidental genius, but like they kind of swapped double sniper into you and then you immediately kind of shifted focus from like trying to just you know, increase the service area of your composition, you just kind of instantly TP on other snipers and kill them. Like, that point A was actually really, really, really strong. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, th there was potential in the comp, but execution is really... That's fun. fair. That's fair. We fucked up our snowball fight completely. We stayed, <laughs> we stayed on the sim for ages when they had, they had like, Hanzo Kree or something. Mm -hmm. So we just... We were kind of reducing our chances of whiff by sticking on it for so long. But it is what it is. That's fair. I remember, like... Uh, well, it must have been, like, two episodes now yeah, ago uh, when we were, like, previewing the Countdown Cup. And we're talking about like, you know, obviously this is when we're talking about like what teams we think probably have a good shot here based on the bands, based on where we think the meta is going. And at that point it felt like, I mean, look at these bands, it's probably going to be more ball dive. It's got to be just yeah. more dive centric overall. If you feel like we, we kind of look at this and be like, oh, okay, all the rush teams will most likely struggle here. Um, and I, I was thinking, I think there was a moment on the two weeks ago on the show where we were like, what about Arisa Cops? Could Arisa Cops work? And... We were kind of like going back and forth, like, yeah, there's like maybe a Rissa McCree or like some Torb and stuff in there. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go and ask, I'll go and ask Anto. I'm going to drop a message. And I, I dropped you the message that same day. And I was like, yeah, what do you think about this comp? You're like, oh, yeah, it could be decent. You know, it could be, it might be map specific. But the more we've gone into this meta, a couple of things that I didn't really anticipate as much, although I mean, like, I saw it from a distance, but I didn't think it'd be like really prominent, was one, Far is being played a lot more than I thought. Um, and that, I don't, maybe in NA, it's probably because. Um, there are still slower teams that run slower base compositions and fire can kind of farm them. Uh, but even in APAC, there's a lot of big, there's a lot of fire being run and, and it, it versus very fast teams where I would have expected fire is not going to have great targets to shoot because you're not trying to just yeah. straight counter brawl now, are you? So yeah, well, and the secondary to that as well is is the Arisa well, comps where I kind of like I I you know we look at Arisa comps you're like oh there's a possibility this could be a thing and I could see some teams going towards it and we theory craft the show where like Rain might be a team that want to go towards Arisa because you got Gator the Gator Arisa has always been a thing you know that's that's kind of signature um but now i mean it's not even just you guys there's a lot of teams that are running this arisa comp and different variations of it like hanzo was actually a hero i didn't even think about because to me the hanzo sure. wasn't going to be a factor unless everyone was going to start running arisa which yeah. case you might want to go hanzo as you know a bit of a soft counter or whatever so yeah. i didn't even think about hanzo uh so it's just been a couple of things that have been really moving in and now arisa is one of the more dominant compositions even across oh, both, yeah. even across both regions because before i would have just said oh yeah na they're doing their they're doing their arista cheese stuff but apex got the real shit going on with the ball dive right but not both regions are yeah. kind of running it so I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that i mean you guys discover this comp as well pretty quickly do you guys do you guys start running arista and scrims and be like you know what this is kind of okay uh well at the start of the stage 
uh, at the start of the stage, we were trying to do like a little bit of a little bit more dive stuff than we wound up doing in the end. Like we thought, you know, oh, maybe our bunker stuff won't work as well because, like, you know, we were playing with things like Sigma. Sometimes we were playing Lucio. So places where we were previously playing bunker, we tried to run a little bit more dive. And on Koth, we settled on running a lot more dive in the end. But uh, it was sort of just like experimenting, you know, seeing where can we get away with a bunker, where do we have to play dive, that sort of thing. Just um, with the Farah thing you were saying before. I think like one of the big reasons why people are playing so much Farah, like especially on Koth, is that like Koth is just like dominated by Lucio all the time. Like people like to play, pick like high tempo comps on Koth. And Farah's a hero where it's like oh, you'll lose if you get out tempoed. And teams picking Lucio comps on Koth, it's the easiest way to out tempo you. But now mm. Lucio's banned, so everyone can just pick Farah because everyone is kind of obliged to play slower on Koth. Mm. Thanks to the absence of Lucio. And then Farah just like Farah kind of like on big open maps Farah kind of shits on like Zen comps and stuff like that because the backline just can't rotate anywhere. They just have to sit in the corner for the whole game. It's like just something I mean, that you guys have never even done. Like uh, Joel, we'll get mm. to you in a second, but it's just like yeah, you're good. there's just there's just stuff that I think you guys showed the stage that was kind of unexpected, and maybe that's that's kind of naive because like I mean you guys got players that should be pretty flexible, um, but you guys just built such a rain built such an identity around this kind of rush around the brawl around the Rhine comps. Uh, and Lucio comps in general, that it was just like seeing anything else, which is you had to double take, like, hang on a second, like, what's going on here? There's Gator on ball, like, that's a thing now. Pel little Pelly's on the fire, which, oh, I mean, you think about that, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Pelican should be playing. It's impressive, though. Fire. It is really yeah. impressive. And I think that's, yeah. that's what kind of like everyone had to do a double take. Like, you got to rethink about this. Like, Atlanta and not just kind of, not to call you guys a one trick team, but like, you guys focus hard on. And this, dude, and by the way, that's not even. Who even cares? I mean, Chengdu's a fucking one-trick team, and they're one yeah, of the top really. teams as well. So who cares about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys are you guys are just uh, probably naively on my part, way more flexible than I think a lot of people thought. Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe because what we were doing in like stages two and three, maybe especially three, like three, we were really rigid with what we were playing. Maybe that cost us a little bit in Hawaii, but um, I mean, we have like an incredibly flexible roster, like. Uh, our players can play anything. It's just, you know, we're trying to play what we're best at the majority yeah. of the time. So, you know, maybe in stage three, we kind of got into the trap of playing a little bit too much of that without the flexibility. Like uh, in Hawaii, you know, we started losing to Farah and stuff because we were playing comps yeah. that were just like, yeah. they just sucked into Farah. But nobody in any scrim was picking Farah because we were, the, like, we were the only team playing our stuff and nobody was practicing against it enough to actually counter pick. But then like mm. one team picked Farah and everyone's like, holy shit, we can just beat these guys by picking one hero. So, you know, Maybe we drop the ball a little bit. That not happen. But um, well, is that yeah. necessarily like? And, and I'm not to completely jump in front oh, of man. you guys, but like, is that necessarily your guys's fault, or is that just kind of the the scrim bubble that you guys are situated in within NA? Like, is there a lot of the narrative? Um, at least I think from from Giska's point of view, um, was that you know there wasn't, or maybe there wasn't a a strong wrecking ball team. Maybe there wasn't a strong Farah team in NA to right. kind of practice against. Was that kind of the case? Well, that's completely true, yeah, in that, like, the, the scrim bubbles are a huge thing, in that, like, you'll, because you don't scrim, like, four teams from NA in right. your given in your given stage, and there's a couple of teams that you probably just never scrim due to um, quality of practice or whatever. Sure. Yeah, the, the, scrim, the scrim circles are pretty small, um, so there's a couple of teams that will try to solve your, like, try to solve what you're doing. Some teams might not even care, because they're like, oh, Rain are just doing their shit, and we don't play them, so we don't care. <laughs> um, and then that's kind of all you're left with and the rest of it is just forward thinking you know like you need to think like what what are we weak to and do we have an answer without ever having practiced against it so i think it's um you can blame the scrim bubble if you want but i, I feel like that's kind of lazy you know like as coaches we should probably be thinking about what are the weaknesses of our comps and thinking of answers to that so like we, we definitely definitely dropped the ball in hawaii by yeah. 
like a defense king's row versus fuel you know like that was a yeah. very winnable map and we we started on a symmetrical so yeah they picked pharaoh and we lost the map surprising yeah. I, I mean, I actually had you guys. Like, I mean, when, I remember going to Summer Showdown. We were kind of doing pickems and stuff like that. Um, I had you guys potentially beating Chengdu. Like, if they lost to Fuel, and then um, you guys lose to Dragons, because that that the Dragons were just goaded during that tournament. Oh, they were like was really impossible count. to beat. But I, I, I yep. had you guys beating Chengdu in the lower bracket if that matchup was going to happen and for some reason. Because I just felt like. I, I probably underrated Chengdu a little bit, but I also felt like you guys were more flexible than the field going into that tournament as well, because I think field were a little bit more um, even hesitant to change up what they were doing. I think they were still pretty locked into Lucio Moira kind of stuff at the time as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And they they obviously have zero capability hit scan. You guys always have Kai in the pocket, which you guys are playing a lot now at this particular stage. So, yeah. I mean, could things have gone differently in, in that kind of regard during Summer Showdown as well? Yeah, I mean... I don't know how we would have matched up versus Chengdu, honestly. Because, um, I mean, they were a really strong dive team as well. Maybe they didn't have, like, as much preparation or experience versus the stuff that we were doing. But the thing is that, like, again, Chengdu was a team that, like, they picked a hell of a lot of Farah just, like, consistently. <laughs> so that probably yeah. that probably would have been a problem for us too. But the, the reality is, like, you know, we were we were playing to qualify for Hawaii. And then as soon as you're qualified, you're, you're getting ready to leave. Everyone, like, they're going and getting their COVID tests. They're booking their flights. Mm, yeah. You're on your flights. You're traveling. And then our team our team got completely fucked for the most recent Hawaii. Yeah. And, yeah. like, their, their flight got canceled. So their first connecting flight out of Atlanta got canceled, which meant that they missed their flight into Hawaii, which meant that they had to wait, like, an extra two days to get into Hawaii because all the flights were full. Ridiculous. So because of that, and they had to stay overnight in Dallas and all this shit. Hang out, on ho- hang out in hotel or some shit, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> There are no scrim- there are no scrims in NA once um once you've qualified because every single team goes on a break except for the team that you're gonna verse in Hawaii. So you don't get to scrim anyone and you have to get ready to travel. And then we spent like literally the whole time start to finish doing like travel related stuff. So by the time we were in Hawaii, and I mean I was traveling from Australia to Hawaii, which is even worse than anything that they had to do. So there's not a lot of prep time for the APAC teams. So we, we probably would have got shit on by Chunkers Fire regardless, let's be real. So you just show up, you play your game, you don't get to, there's no warm-up. I don't even know if you get to do a warm-up scrim if there's anyone that is even willing to play yet. Uh, oh, well, you, we got there We got there the day before and Blizzard let us off the hook on shooting content because we were so late that there wasn't even time to do content yeah. anymore. But you get there, you settle in, maybe you play yeah. a couple of ranked games. We had a warm-up scrim in the morning, like some, some collegiate Brad, team helped us out. I think or maybe Brad was, was saying, um, Brad publicly said, he, like, he, he gave it like a thank you to American Tornado for always being there to like warm people uh, warm up yeah. teams and be a good scrim partner or something like that I'm there yeah now. i mean it's like oh like, yeah like they just helped us out like every single time with a warm-up like you know if we'd ask them to like play a comp or try to do something they'd do it all the time like they, they were just a really good warm-up partner because they were like a really high quality team like they yeah. were they were better than like heaps of our scrims like they're genuinely better than like a lot of our yeah, scrims i believe and they would just do yeah. things that you'd ask so they were they were really helpful yeah in a way kind of like a uh, an academy team right um <laughs> it, it's uh it's, it's definitely else. a hot topic a, a little bit right a little bit it, it's okay. it's kind of dangerous to kind of talk about but you know obviously there is some value in having you know a, a practice partner that you can kind of ask to to run things and and have them you know run specific comps against you is that something that obviously Hopefully, once we get into a healthier landscape, uh, 
is that something you see teams maybe investing back into feel, moving forward? Feel feel free to skip anything, by the way, if it's like if it's weird. Yeah, yeah. If, if totally. Joe's asking some weird yeah, shit that's right totally now. Totally fine. I mean, I I don't like see an immediate return to academy teams. Honestly, I feel like the value is pretty limited. Like okay. these contenders teams, like they're just hungry. You know, like they want to they want to play. Like they want to have good scrims. So they're just happy to do it. Like they don't need to be your academy team to do it. Like AT aren't. They're not like our personal slaves or anything. Like they do no. this for other. They do this for other teams too. So okay. I, I don't think that they're. And like with the state of um, what's going on with tier two at the moment, I'm mm. not entirely sure that next year there'll be any academy teams. Plus, all those guys are probably going to be in our next year anyway, except for the underage ones. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. So you one guys, thing I, uh, yeah, go on. I did want to ask specifically about Farah. Um, kind of more broadly, looking at Countdown Cup, is it? it you mentioned um, Tepo and how you know, obviously, because Lucio's been removed, uh, teams have been kind of not struggling to find their own tempo, but uh, the control in general has been kind of uh, a little, you know, wonky. Um, one thing that I've particularly noticed, and I'm interested on on your uh, thoughts on this, was the the aggressiveness of the positioning of like a lot of Fara players. Like I've noticed that Naga has been very aggressive. Uh, Pelican in some areas kind of just kind of pushing forward, not necessarily playing your standard Farah. Is that been like a cognizant change and something that you guys have had to like really kind of push people towards is like, you guys have to actually engage. You can't just sit back and poke. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say so. Because I think the reality is with like Overwatch League, if you're a team that just stands around and AFKs all the time, like you're, you're just not going to win at the top mm. level. Like Fuel is a team that is so like, they're like spectacularly limited in there. Like they can't play hit scan. Like they have, they have like some strange players where you know, like their strengths are, you know, like they, they're a team that is going to succeed when they play fast, not when they play slow, mm. all, all the time. So uh, I think Fuel is like a really good example of like what you can do when you're just willing to to go in and get things done and to play really fast all the time. So I think that like some Farah players, you know, they want to play like passively. They want to just like hover over the team, shooting down rockets forever. But then like the reality is, if you want to have like the most impactful play, ninety percent going to be like finding every opportunity to go you know as aggressive as you can and get as much value as you can so yeah, yeah i think that um it's not just a fair thing it's like it's every hero in the game like you the more you stand around afk doing nothing like the, the more likely you are to lose versus these teams especially versus teams like fuel and you saw that like in the very first yeah. hawaii um like fuel versus shanghai where apac was just playing really really slow all the time you know like shanghai were playing like mercy zen and stuff like that like comps that are just really really slow and then fuel just like walked all over there by playing super high tempo stuff where it's like on paper the comps don't look that great but they just out tempo you like mm. if you if you played it perfectly as shanghai maybe you could have won but the reality is fuel is playing a really really fast comp and sometimes the easiest way to beat that is to just match their tempo as opposed to you know trying to play perfect overwatch where everyone hits every cooldown in the correct way to counter the abilities of the enemy mm. I mean, yeah. you guys have definitely had some tempo shifts and stuff like that, because I think if we go to the first match, if we start to really go through some of the games that happened uh, in this particular stage in Countdown Cup so far, like, you guys started off against Gladiators, and just for everyone's knowledge here as well, and for the people listening, it's like, your schedule is Gladiators, into Houston, um, no break, and then next week into Florida, into Dallas, and you could argue, okay, I think people... Four counter cut would have said maybe Flora could have been an easy team that still ended up being a five mapper, and then obviously yeah. Dallas yeah. is always going to be Dallas. But even just starting from Gladiators, I think you look at that initial game, and without with no one seeing any tape, no one seeing any anything about what Gladiators are going to do and what you guys are going to do on paper, that feels like it should be a comfortable Gladiators game because they're like known to be a dive team, right? They're known to be a team 
that what you know this the Kev's the tracer team you know oh yeah you're, you're gonna have this team with you know mirror's gonna go far or something like that and you're gonna have some real comfort in dive because glads are known to be a dive team and you guys have not been known I to be know. a dive team well, yeah, so I how do you navigate I, through this gladiators yeah. game and that is yeah. a five mapper by the yeah. way you guys won both the controls you got both the costs in there uh well I mean, I think Glads are a bit of a strange team in yeah. that regard. In that, you know, it's like every single stage, it's like, holy shit, Glads are so crazy. You know, like they're the scrum gods. Everyone's talking about how great Glads are. But then, like, stage after stage, they find a way to just, like, fall short and disappoint. Maybe this maybe this time it'll be different, right? But, you know, every time we go into a Glads game, it's like, wow, we've, we've heard these guys are really, really good. And, like, you look at their roster on paper, and it's like, geez, these guys, these guys are a sick fucking dive team, you know? Like, they play... Like they play that skewed guy on Brig whenever they're playing dive yeah, two, yeah. and then they can go double flex support and stuff like that. Like they, I don't know, they're just a they're a team that has like so many things going right on paper, but then you know sometimes you just burst them in the match and they just throw and give you the win. So I, I appreciate that from the guy, for sure. Did you give Sam some shit? Of course, every time. <laughs> for at, at Sam... this stage, it's gone. Sam it's is gone from like nice GGs to uh yeah Sam is face uh, the Australian coach for Glads but it's gone from like nice GGs tweets uh, nice GGs messages after the games to just like fuck you every time because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think he's getting sick of it too oh god they must be because they're they are a team that I think uh you know they're like the opposite of you guys because they were like hyped up and look I'll, I'm, I'm a fucking culprit I hyped them up preseason I'll be that guy um yep. And and then they've kind of like not had the same results. Whereas you guys are a team. Atlanta's been a team that wasn't really hyped up, uh, but then ended up being really big. I actually gave you guys really high preseason rank because I heard you guys were kind of like real good in scrims. And I remember people giving me shit like, "Well, how Why do you have Atlanta and you're like top five? And everyone else had like Atlanta and like bottom ten somewhere or something like that. Um, but yeah, Goliath's have been an interesting team this season. I I would have imagined they were going to be a little bit more competitive in this particular meta now as far as standings goes i mean they're still one and one they can still potentially beat florida although to be honest though the florida's probably a lot better than most people thought so who yeah. even knows there and then and then they got houston as well which i'm sure you'd love for gladiators to beat houston but although that being said looking at points wise if i take a look at overall points for everybody so you guys are on 12 got shock on 10 houston on 10 glads on nine so if they beat houston they're on 10 as well so technically glads aren't like right on your doorstep it's on shock and outlaws are okay, so i assume you'd, you'd love to see sam get a dub there versus outlaws right yeah i'd yeah. appreciate if they could just beat the outlaws yeah, just this like, one like, fuck you sam but please also just beat the outlaws that would really help us out yeah, a lot uh, speaking of exactly you, right. you guys beat the outlaws and this is a team that like okay you look at the you look at day one they beat washington this is before everyone realized that washington were not going to be good this particular stage at least publicly i mean maybe you guys scrim them and you knew beforehand for everyone else for all the plebs out there that are not privy to scrims which is literally everyone uh we all assumed that washington was probably going to be decent because again another team on paper they got the case the decay tracer that you know kind of crap with the kind of stuff coming on through now they should yep. be a good dive team oh like your mag can play the ball etc like these are the storylines right uh, and they mm-hmm. come out, they lose to Houston, and r- right then you're like, because you're still assuming Washington's a good team, you're like, well, Houston must be uh, pretty damn good, because, you know, this know. is probably a good meta for, right, for Dante, especially. Um, seems like they got they got it going on. Jangu apparently is a ball player as well, and then you guys just stomped them 3-0. and What's that about? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like that series, honestly, like, I feel like we must have tilted them after map one or something. Like, they really yeah. fell over after the first map. First map felt really close, um... But you, you know, we edged it out, and then the next two were just like just zero resistance. Um, so I don't know. That was yeah. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot to say with that one because you know we didn't scrim beforehand, so we didn't know how good they were. I think in terms of them beating Washington, it's like you know maybe you look at that at face value and you're like, 
oh well it must be nice they beat washington but i don't know washington just have a knack for shitting the bed like at every single stage like without mm. fail they just shit the bed so i mean seeing them beat washington wasn't like making me absolutely terrified of houston i'm a burial because i feel like I feel like most everyone can beat Washington in a match. Oh, dude, you know, well, they went zero and now. nine at the start of the stage. Yeah. But like, but they do that every time. They they do that every time. Like at the start of every stage, they just lose their ability to qualify. They'll, they'll go zero and six or something at the beginning of the stage and lose their ability to qualify for the tournament. And then it's like, oh, now they look okay again. Now that the stakes are off. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really weird. But everyone's like, but everyone is always like, because there's always the the decay coping. We're like, oh yeah, but decay could always be that carry again, or like, or Washington could always you know make a comeback. But you're right, like they they go zero and six and then they can't qualify. Anymore. Which completely screws them, but I think um, yeah. there was just a copium there. Like, well, I mean, it's a good meta for them. Surely it'll be decent. Um, and you look at NA. I think there was a lot of you know dooming going over the NA side. Like, oh no, this is going to be an APAC dominated meta. Heaps of these NA teams don't even play dive, and it's just going to look pretty rough here. And uh, speaking of a team that was looking pretty rough around the edges, I mean, most people had pretty much ridden off mayhem not only from the stage but like completely from the entire season overall because yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was looking grim i mean you guys say you have some you guys have a pretty rough strength of schedule yeah uh which you do i would i would say that you guys definitely have one of the hardest strength of schedules uh florida comparatively don't have as hard but based on how where they were in terms of skill level or perceived skill level well, it seemed like you know there were plenty of people out there that were looking at mayhem and being like well this is probably going to be an own four they're not going to qualify. They're not going to escape the bottom three. And uh, it might be done. And now it's looking like they might be able to skip over Boston. So that'd be that'd be a little bit sad for a little punky in checks. Um, but you guys faced up Florida. And that was like a that was a really, really tight game. And was that Florida's first game? It was. It was Florida's first game this stage. Seeing OG back. And that ended up being a bit more of a struggling game. Whereas I think most people, especially after seeing you guys dominate Houston, would have been like, oh yeah, this will be Atlanta 3-0. Yeah, I mean the thing with Florida is that like they, you know, they actually do have like a really talented roster, but they just like they've just had some moments where it's like, I don't know, they they just kind of throw sometimes. I don't think that they're like an absolute top tier team like realistically, but I mean like they they genuinely like had us on the ropes on that series. You know? Like I think us losing Havana meant that we had like a really high chance of losing that series. We are. Their Hannah Morris start was like really good. Like they had a really good execute on the first point that just like blew our hold open. Like it was, it was clear that they'd like, you know, they played versus the sort of stuff that we were doing in our defense and they had like a really, really good execute plan for it for Hannah Mora. So, you know, I'll, I'll give them the Hannah Mora win. Um, but Havana, like that was that was an expected win for us. You know, it's like we're taking a Ryan Mirror, Ryan Mirror versus um versus Florida. So I would have thought that like that map, like that, that should be the one that we're like definitely peaked to win. And then like even on the final cop, like it was really, really close. But um Yaki just made like a critical error that just won us the series, so I appreciate that from him. He hard, hard carried, hard carried his team for like the entire map, but then he just decided he was going to give us a win too. So that was sick. Like I appreciate that from him. Yeah, he's a, he's a specific person that kind of um, is interesting because he in this match in particular, I felt like kind of referencing um, the Hanamura A push that they did, really kind of getting in there super super aggressive and even going into the Koth um really really impactful on the farah and obviously on the tracer definitely a pick that he's you know known for um how do you as a coach kind of approach players like this um i I mentally kind of look at it like a chessboard right like where you can kind of my 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 views kind of fixated on like where hawk is going and like where where he is a resource kind of like managing these 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 threats um how did you kind of try to uh, maybe adapt or like what were some of the things that you said to the guys going into the like the last cough game like was there a specific like mark on on his forehead? Was there something that you wanted to kind of shift in terms of resources to try and shut him down? Uh, well, 
in terms of mid-match adjustments, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit like that. But I think that often, like, your role within, like, a comp matchup, you know, if, mm. if we're versus Farah, naturally Hawk's job is going to be to, like, try and shut down that Farah as much right. as possible. You can keep, keep her in check, like, eat as many of the rockets that are going towards the back line, things like that. If Yaki's on Tracy, you know, he's you know, trying to eat as many pulse bombs as possible. So I think that, um, I think it's important not to, like, get in our own players' heads and be like, you know, you've got to be so scared of Yaki. Like, sure. I don't want to go into a match versus Mayhem and, like, have our players scared of Yaki because, you know, if you're scared of your opponent, then already you're going to lose to him. Same thing mm. when you're versus Washington, you know. It's like, if we're just telling them, like, the case is going to shit on all of you, then, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that people are scared of the player. Like, you need to have no respect for your opponent when you're versus so I think that um, you know, strategically, like, like versus the comps they were playing, like everyone knew their role. They already knew what they were supposed to be doing, like mm. what heroes are supposed to be marking, who they're supposed to be fighting, where they're supposed to be rotating, things like that. And then from that, it's less about like, oh, you're going to be so scared of Yaki this map. It's more like, you know, we versed this in scrims. You already know what to do because we'd already been there. We'd already practiced against it. And yeah. You guys, you guys are like the master of disrespecting. I mean, in a good way, I think it's funny to me. Um, so yeah, well, that, that so works fucking, out. Everyone is so fucking boring, so it's it's not hard. To <laughs> yeah, that's respect in this league. Oh, I mean, dude, that London game, and we can get into that a little bit. I mean, we still got one match to talk through about you know, how you guys went, but in terms of just on that topic line, um, <laughs> that specific London game with the BM got you guys into a little bit of hot fire, but at the same time, I think the other hand on the on the other side of the coin, it was like also one of the best moments of the league in terms of it's topical. You get a little bit of yeah yeah i mean if, if a couple of people are going to boycott the team because we didn't cap the point for three seconds and it's not coming home i mean that's <laughs> it's up to the fans i think most people enjoy it you know it's just a vocal minority who can i'm sure your fans enjoy it for no reason i think you guys I'm sure, I'm sure most of our fans enjoy it. you guys got this you guys got the bad boy vibe about your team which is kind of like you guys are the only team that i think really would actually play into i don't even want to use the word villain but it's like you got you have this more like kind of don't give a fuck vibe which is kind of cool um uh, yeah, from my POV, anyway. Uh, I, mean, I, think, I think it's accurate, honestly. Like a lot of teams, they want to be like, uh, they want to be thought of as like the wholesome people. They're you know, like working really hard and humble all the time. And stuff, brand friendly. You know? like, so you say yeah, sorry, friendly, uh, but yeah, it's sorry like, after every match loss. You like get the tweet out. I apologize. Yeah, you know? Sorry, sorry, GGs will be better next time. That sort of thing. Every single time. You guys talked about Ryan a little bit here, because I'm actually curious about Ryan's place in the position. I'm going to be honest with you, when I was looking at this meta, Ryan is a hero that I was like, it's dead. No one's going to pick Ryan. Zero reason to play Ryan. Why would you play Ryan without a Lucio? Seems like it'd be a complete waste of time. You guys had a Ryan matchup versus Florida. Like, what what prompts anyone to even want to run a Ryan? Havana's a map that is just... Havana kind of sucks for... um. A dive overall so people are going to pick orissa or run and then like i think orissa comps on havana like maybe they're just a little bit overrated honestly because havana like first point defense it's like really good to spawn count with ryan because you can get mm. three fights that way so you get more fights out you bleed ults out of the enemy it's like a it's a recipe for a full hold if you don't fuck it up like we did which tragic so like th that's a good reason to play ryan on havana because you can get three fights out of it and you can spawn camp really, really easily which you just can't do with orissa and then i think broadly like ryan still has a place in a lot of these like bunker comps trying to counter dive because like there's there's value in having the damage from your ryan and having a mobile shield orissa like you know you get a lot of value from pulls like that that's really good but the shield you set it down and then it's it, it's gone for a while you can't move it anymore mm. so i think having the mobility of ryan like helping you rotate and things like that is really really valuable and then you know sometimes you know that it can just make some magic happen with a miracle pin or a good fire strike, things like that. So would you say that in, in a weird way, it's kind of not an answer to, it feels a little too aggressive, but the reason why Ryan's in the meta is because Orissa's definitely kind of found her own like niche area, that kind of archetype, not centered around Orissa, but 
because she's played a lot more, Ryan can kind of squeak in and not necessarily as a counter, but giving uh, you more the, tempo? I don't think it's so much about the Arissa. I, th I think it is more about like what the, the like tanks the enemy team are playing um, okay. in terms of like ball or wins and things like that. So, yeah, I, d I do feel like it's more about like what kind of comp you're trying to counter from the enemy. Because if mm. they're playing like something that's really, really spam-centric, like it's just hard to play Arissa without a second shield right. because the shield breaks really, really quickly, things like that. So if the enemy is defending on like a really, really pokey comp, like you might not want to play Arissa into that. Let's talk about the, uh, the fourth and last Delta match Delta you guys one? played just recently versus Dallas. This is the big one. This is the yeah, one they, where I think up until this, correct me if I'm wrong, but in official matches, first win versus Dallas so far this season. I think you played yeah, them four right, times. And yeah, I, think that, I think that was our fourth match. Yeah, so you've gone. Uh, I mean, there've been some close matches. I mean, I don't even know if you'd consider Dallas like a rival at this stage. I think when I look at you guys versus Dallas, that always feels like a really high stakes match. Always feels like a bit of a rivalry match from my. Oh, no, they're, def they're definitely a rival at this point. Like they they kept beating us, so yeah, definitely a rival. You know, they're like competitors for top dogs. Like they keep going to Hawaii. They keep getting further into Hawaii than we do. They they beat us every time. So yeah, definitely a rival. Definitely Did I mean rival. even remember? I, I think it might have been last year when Atlanta beat Paris, something like that. And Gators like, yo, I finally beat Element Mystic and Sparkle, something. Because so, <laughs> this, this goes back as far as Gauntlet, like mm -hmm. real real talking. I mean, um, Gators so, Gator and Hawk have a fucking abysmal record. Yeah. Sparkle, <laughs> sparkle's not great yeah that this it's been going on for like a couple of years man because i remember that guy called and guy to gator walk past uh you know about an hour ago before we started recording even and um yeah, yeah and i just remember yeah, that 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 i don't even know if there's like an internal rivalry there but that, that's just been going on for a while as well but finally you guys got one over them uh, yeah. I, I got to imagine Dallas must be a weird team yeah. to go up against and prep against because you even you even you know teased a little bit that this is a team that has a strange ability to not be flexible. I mean, obviously, they just don't have a hit scan player to do that. Well, maybe that gets fixed now, but um, Dallas is just like a, a very different team, I think, in your region to go up against, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this victory versus Dallas, you know, like the, this is the stage where it's like lowest stakes for them, right? Like they'd already, by the time we played our match, they'd already hard locked in seed one. Even if a team was to win every single match in the stage and win every single game in Hawaii, they still couldn't catch up to fuel. So I think that like, these were bands that didn't favor fuel at all, and they were completely hard locked on seed one. So you, you know, we finally we finally beat the fuel, but we actually have to finally beat the fuel again when there are some stakes on the line for them. Yeah, because yeah, I sure. feel like this this stage didn't really matter to them. I feel like they don't want to go to Hawaii if anything. So you know, it's it's nice to beat those guys, but at the same time, like I, I want to beat them when it actually matters for them. Now Avril kind of danced around it a little bit with the, the hit scan comment, but uh, any any thoughts, any opinions on? Uh... You know, the big boss arriving finally in uh, uh, Texas? Okay. I don't know. Pine's a... <laughs> Pine is a weird pickup. Honestly. <laughs> Possibly the least expected pickup of all time, at least. Because I thought they were going to go for like a like a new up-and-coming hitscan player. Like mm. Those guys, like they, they know good hitscan players out of current contenders. You know, like they're friends with them. So, and Dallas doesn't have any shortage of money. So it's not like it would have been an issue for them to sign an up-and-coming hitscan player. But I think that like Pine, you know, he's... He had a he had a good run a couple of years ago, but then he kind of like faded out and kind of stopped playing, stopped being a pro. So it's a very unusual pickup for them, honestly, okay. just because it's like so, he's he's not super up to date with like you know heroes like Ash stuff like that. He hasn't been a pro for a long time, mm. so uh, I think a lot of the perception is that he's like past his prime, like well and truly. So it was a weird pickup, but there's like huge PR around him. He's a really oh, famous nice. player, and everyone like everyone's happy to see Pine. So even if they give him a map, and even if they lose it, like I think people will still be happy just because. It's fine. So, uh, so what? Kai's ready to shit on him. Is that where we're going in that direction? 
I will fuck him up like no doubt. <laughs> God, he's getting ready. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, okay, so I guess there's not too much to dive into that matchup. I mean, this is a team that is now I guess unlikely to make it into the Countdown Cup. I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. I think on a, I think a two-two record in NA is a lot more forgiving than a two-two record in APAC. What it's yep. worth. So the chance is still still there, but I mean, you know. Max, you're going to say they're probably, they're probably not that keen to go anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's the complete opposite for you guys, because you came into this one really needing points. You have now got four extra points out of this one. Uh, you needed to have like pretty much a perfect stage. You you have to go to Hawaii, I assume, you pretty much. you got to get that extra point, because you have on your heels, you know, you got like a Houston on your heels and a Shock on the heels. Shock, who I would say I've more than guaranteed to go 4-0, unless for some reason Toronto yeah. were vancouver are not going to beat the shock um and then houston where look old mate sam might be able to take down houston from gladiators pov florida is actually seems like a fairly decent team the stage all things considered so maybe houston go down there as well um yeah. i mean you guys got to go there and shock is probably your closest target in terms of competition yeah i'd agree with that I think that, like, you know, for us this stage, like, locking top three is the priority. Like, going to Hawaii every single time takes, like, a really big toll because, like, on top of all the travel and stuff like that, Hawaii happens when every other team gets a break. So we finish Hawaii, we come home after all of the stress and travel of Hawaii, and immediately we have to start screaming again because the new <laughs> stage is upon us. So we haven't had a stay, we haven't had, like, a proper break, like a break of more than two days since stage one, since stage one ended because we didn't make it to Hawaii that time. And we need to go to Hawaii again because we need to either get points to like stay ahead of Shock, Outlaws, and Glads. Mm. But we need to gatekeep teams like Outlaws and Glads from getting bonus points in Hawaii. So either way, like there's no break in Cypress really. We need to go to Hawaii again, unless there are like some some miracle, like say say Defiant and Justice or something make it in. Actually, it can't be Justice. Justice is out no, of contention completely. Yeah. But say Defiant Shock make it to Hawaii, then. That wouldn't be the end of the world for us, assuming Houston don't go 2-0 next week, because we that would lock us in for top three games. It's defined, can't catch up with us in points, and Outlaws and Glads will be permanently behind us. But we need to stay ahead of Outlaws permanently, and we can't have Glads going to Hawaii and winning three bonus points and getting ahead of us too, because that would knock us out of top three. Mm. You need one of those teams to be out. Yeah, you need either Shock or Houston to pretty much be out, and and Glads, obviously, to, to be out of there, but they're, they're still a point behind. Yeah, I think um, the thing with Shock is that, like, because Shock are already, like, tied up with us, it's it's quite unlikely that, um, it's just, like, Shock would have to really heavily shit the dead to wind up below us at this stage, because they have, like, two pretty, pretty winnable matches this week, and then they'll be ahead of us. So, yeah, it's, in my mind, it's more about, like, what's going to happen to Outlaws and Glass, honestly, hmm. to determine whether we make top three. So we need to go to Hawaii. So, like, your your vision's kind of already set to Hawaii when it comes to much in the same way that it did, you know, last stage. Um, how far ahead are you guys looking as a coaching staff, looking at some of the things that APAC's doing? Obviously, Zarya seems to be a little bit more of a niche pick that still sees a little bit of playtime out there. Is that something you guys are already kind of looking at? Do you have any thoughts on that? Any opinions? Strong opinions, really. Like we're we don't look all that much to APAC to try and like figure out what we want to play. Because, I mean, we, like we, we were skimming through some APAC boards the other, the other day, maybe a week ago. And we're thinking, like, oh, look at that. Soul's like, Soul's copying us. So it's doing the same thing that we were doing. So it's like, oh, cool, someone, someone's copying us. But like, we haven't, because APAC is like a predominantly like dive centric region, mm -hmm. uh, I'd say for the most part, um, they mostly just wind up playing those comps. That's not really what we're trying to do. Oh, hey. for the most part. You know, we're, we're trying to make our stuff work, which has worked so far, you know, instead of for yeah. a stage. But yeah.
Makes sense. Makes sense. So how do you see how do you see the rest of this going now? Because we have uh, you obviously still have to play the knockout, of which I think at this stage you'll be guaranteed the first or second seed going to knockouts. Um, so you need to win one match to get into the actual to get to Hawaii itself, and then you'd have to say. I mean, if we had to take a guess, Shock is probably the most likely other team just based on where they are. Uh, I don't know if you consider them to be to be a strong competitor in this particular stage to be the other team. Well, let's assume you go to Hawaii. Let's assume whoever you go up against, you will go to Hawaii. Shock's probably on the other side of the bracket. Are they the team that probably goes to Hawaii with you guys or what? Uh, look, it's it's really hard for me to say, honestly, just because the thing is that, like, it's... Our scrim box don't mean everything. Like, we play our stuff, and then other teams play other things. So it's really hard to know how teams match up into different things. Like, we know how Shock matches up into what we play, but we don't know how Shock matches up into, say, what Toronto play. Mm. This is an example. So it's really hard to know, like, who else... Like, assuming we're going to Hawaii, yeah. it's really hard to know who's going to go with us, because I don't really know how a lot of our, like, opposing yeah. teams actually match up... You know, so it'll be, right it'll be you guys, and then most likely, let's just rattle off a, a bunch of names here. Shock, shock, shock glads, shock glads. Okay, are you? Well, you're hoping Houston don't go there, but there, there's a non-zero chance. Like, who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. I actually had, I had some mad Paris hype behind me going to the stage as well. Um, Maybe I'm stupid, but like, I thought Paris were going to do really well. They can, so they got still got two games left that are fairly winnable, and they got Toronto and London. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Um, there's a fair chance in there. Who knows what side of the bracket they're on? Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's you guys, the teams that we listed off, and you go over to the Apex side of things yeah. in terms of who's going to Hawaii because we, we're about to get into the topic of like, well, you know, what is Hawaii going to kind of look like? And uh, mm. you know, before we started recording the show, we had a, a brief chat where you're saying like, this is probably going to be the most winnable Hawaii tournament, the uh, winnable stage okay. of all of them so far. It's looking yeah. like, in my opinion, Chengdu is going to be a lock. They're the next best team after Shanghai anyway. Shanghai are out. They don't want to go. We get it. Uh, New York are waiting for a tiebreaker. I think it's unlikely they go. It's going to be one of Fusion or Seoul. I don't know which yet, but it'll be Chengdu and then either Seoul or Fusion. So being that, I think you guys are a lock. We'll just assume you guys are a lock. We'll assume Chengdu's a lock. And then we'll assume Soul Fusion, Shock, Glad's one of those. Two out of those four teams will be there. Like, you know... It, is this going to be? Is this going to be the Atlanta win? I mean, you're probably. I think the expectations that you guys should. You're looking for a win in Hawaii, obviously. But like, how do you see Hawaii panning out, panning out with that kind of? It's so know, fucking loud here. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think definitely like this is the most winnable Hawaii. Yeah. Especially like because Shanghai specifically not being there is like a huge deal. Just because Shanghai is just absolutely insane. Like really, 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 really flexible. You know, like Shanghai, they probably suck at like Ryan Rush or something like that. But they just play a bunch of other stuff everywhere else. Like Shanghai is a really, really strong team. So them not being there is just like really, really important to to how free uh, Hawaii looks this time around. Teams like Fusion have looked like pretty good this stage over in APAC. All the NA teams, it's, it's just like a permanent mixture. So I don't really know. But yeah, uh, I'd say like the absence of Shanghai and then the absence of like a high effort fuel just naturally makes this Hawaii yeah. winnable. You know, because the the permanent winners are both not going. I mean, do you think you're a favorite? I think you should. Maybe that's like a bit of a loaded question. I'm only asking that because, like, when I looked across what other people are saying and I what the general there. sentiment out there is, I think years. most people would look at Atlanta now as like a top favorite team. When, especially if Dallas is not going, and Dallas has always been the default favorite, and if they're not there, then it kind of goes to Atlanta automatically. Almost. I mean, do you do you see that? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here in front of you and tell me that tell you that we're not gonna win. Right? Exactly. Like, well, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a stupid thing to talk about, but it's just like. I mean, it's more like, do you, where's your confidence level at? I mean, 
of the I, I mean a high, highest of the lot, right? Highest of the lot. Yeah. Shanghai, Shanghai three owed us twice when we went there, and Shanghai aren't going. So gotta be happy with that. Right? Well, you guys like when you threw throughout that tweet ages ago, which met, which was the June Jiao's tournament. <laughs> You threw out the tweet, and and then <laughs> like how how, how 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 confident were you behind that tweet? Like, because because Shanghai initially lost and they did look pretty bad. So in your mind, was it like, oh yeah, Shanghai? Now they're done here. They they kind of shit. I mean, to, be, to be honest, I, I tweeted that after we played Nixon, and they were just complete dog shit. I wasn't really thinking all too much about Shanghai when I tweeted it. But you know, it was a pretty po- it was a pretty poorly phrased one, given that you know, Shanghai stuck it in us a day later, pretty pretty aggressively. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nixel sucked at the tournament. I'll give him that, but uh, yeah, Shanghai not so much. Just a different team, man. They built diff. Truly, uh, yeah. truly built diff. <laughs> oh man, Joe. I mean, yeah, he kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's they're they're not an easy team to kind of wrap their head around. But with Atlanta, regards to Atlanta moving into you know the Countdown Cup, like. The the big question I think on everybody's lips is you know how is APAC really going to fare with such a strong bunker team and not somebody that can completely or is completely just focused on their bunker play right Atlanta has been very successful running a lot of ball running around doing um, one thing that kind of caught me off guard was uh, Temple B and how much you guys were kind of pressing the attack really forcing the tempo um, yeah. it, it's it's it, it kind of feels like Atlanta has the the entire breadth of the meta under their belt it's not just one thing obviously you can pull the Arisa and it looks really really strong but there's no there's no gap it's a full gambit of of strategy that you guys are yeah. wielding and i don't know that apac has that same capability i think they're going to be the ones in the back foot adapting to you guys i i'd say that's you know that's probably like somewhat accurate i think that like this stage of the mall like it's one where we've actually gotten to show like our full flexibility like we, we do a lot of different stuff on cough compared to what we do on hybrids and payload and pcp things like that so i think that because like now we have like a basically a full variety of comps like we play a mixture of dive bunker ryan and rissa like we, we're basically playing everything at that stage like we're no longer really easily counterpicked you know the coaches don't yeah. have to just sit in the room and think what's the one hero we need to pick <laughs> to beat the, the comp that they're playing on every single map all of the time so because we have like a lot more variety behind us i think that like the enemy like especially our apac opponents who have never scrimmed us will have to adapt a lot more yeah. But it depends yep. on matchups here as well because you know I, I think for one part the meta is a lot more open in this particular stage than I thought. Uh, totally. But beyond that as well, they're, they're, I don't know if there is such a thing as like a dominant composition in this meta. Like, yeah, like if you play this into this, I mean, if, if what I'm getting to is like if APEC default to dive, and we'll use Chengdu as a clear example here because I think they'll more than likely be the number one seed out of APEC, and they're a team that is pretty much one tricking. Uh, they have been for a while. And they've been very successful at one tricking, and I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that in a negative way because Dallas are also one trick, and they've been very successful. And you guys have one trick in the past as well in previous tournaments, so it's not nothing wrong in in any regards. But um, Chengdu most likely will run as much fire as they can. They'll run a lot of ball uh, and very limited Arisa. They have like a very tiny amount of Arisa that's going to be in there. But is there going to be like I don't know if if there is a dominant meta. I don't know if it's going to be in terms of matchups. You guys could you guys are going to be more flexible, but you know, is ball the still like the comp for the most part? I think the answer here that you might say is it's a little bit map dependent, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is map dependent. You know, on Koth, ball is just insanely good. Like ball, ball's really good on Koth, but then outside of Koth, it's a lot more. The same thing goes for Farah, where it's like you know Farah's been really good on Koth, or at least for for a lot of the Koth points. But then, mm. 
when it comes to like GCP, payload, stuff like that, like it, it really heavily depends on the map, you know? Like teams playing Pharah on Blizzard World are probably going to struggle with it a lot more than a team playing Pharah on, you know, like Rialto, like a good Pharah map. So it kind of, it really just depends on the map at that stage. So I think that yeah. then when you come down to the tournament, you know, it might come down to like teams are, teams are winning their map pick because they get to play to their strength on their map pick and then they get to lose to their weakness on their not map pick. Yeah, for sure. I mean, map picks are going to be a huge yep. deal there. That's that's going to be yeah. the one big factor. And I think the order you pick maps as well, who ends up losing yep. where, and then what becomes open uh, in yep. terms of the picks itself. Um, for and then sure. the, seed, the seeding actually really matters too. Because, true, you know, true. Having a first you want to be really the highest seed. Yeah, because you, yep. could, be, you okay. could be first seed here, right? So, oh, actually, how does that work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you... Am I stupid? How... Yeah, there is an NA1 and NA2. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, first seed would definitely matter quite a lot. Um, but then you also have like Soul Philly, and you said it, you said it yourself, like Soul kind of running a similar thing. I guess that's actually maybe even good for you guys because you're more pre you're like kind of prepped versus teams that run similar stuff to you guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if we were to say if Soul wouldn't make it, I mean, I think that'd be a pretty good thing for us because like if we were, if we were to wind up in a bunch of Arisa mirrors, but Soul like just back us 100 percent every day of the week, so I mean that'd be nice. I'm sure there'll be yeah. there'll be a soul fan out there like I got you so they, they got yeah. it right um, there it is there's been like this entire narrative around the scene where it's where it's, it's, it's saying that no! um you know APAC teams are going to be the far superior ball teams and oh. NA are going to be far weaker on the ball I mean just blanket is that that's kind of true would you say or is that kind of a load of shit uh, I think that would have been true, like, going out of stages two and three, because teams weren't playing it in NA. Like, how, you know, Moon was saying, like, oh, it's... The, the Shanghai head coach was saying that, like, you know, that maybe maybe there aren't ball teams in NA. And that was true, because teams weren't playing ball in stages two and three, or, like, they were barely playing it, whereas APAC was just being dominated by it. So I think that at that time, APAC was, like, really, really far ahead of NA in terms of, like, the quality of their ball comps and, like, the strength of it, because they really understood it. They'd been practicing for a long time. But I think that NA is like significantly caught up in that regard. Lots of people are playing it now. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think that APAC would have some crazy edge. Like maybe they've been playing it all year, so they still have a stronger understanding of it. They're a little bit more fleshed out. But at the same time, it's not like a it's not like a world's difference, which it was before. Yeah, so you can you can roll up into a Koth versus like a Chengdu. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean yeah. it's not because I mean we've been playing ball on Koth yeah. the whole stage. So you'd hope so at this stage that we could <laughs> we could make it work. You got the fire in there as well. You actually are yeah. running Kai a lot more than I thought. For some reason I thought that like um, if you were going to lean towards, I, to, be, to be fair, I didn't really know exactly what you guys want to run. But if you were going to run, because last stage you ran, I think Edison primarily on Tracer, and I was thinking that if you were going to go into more dive based on Tracer, Edison was going to be coming in. Kai might not see that much play time. I was thinking in my head, like I don't know if there's that many good like Kree comps, or I don't know if what else got gameplay. I also probably underestimated Kai's hero pool. I think a lot of people did because Kai's hero pool is predominant in being the hard hit scans, and people don't think of Tracer when they think of Kai. People People don't think of um I'm, I, yeah, I'm even struggling now to think of some of the other picks but i know yeah he's playing like soldier this stage oh, for example i think soldier was a bit of a sleeper pick so i just think i just think in my yeah. mind i wasn't really expecting that much kai, but you guys have been running kai the entire time yeah we have i mean i think the the thing is that like i don't want to get too deep into the strategy like we have yeah sure sure and whatnot but, you know, i think that kai's tracer was definitely like pretty heavily slept on in terms of people thinking that like oh i just can't play it but you know he, he definitely could you know like we played tracer versus glides on cots and we won both like both cots first capster on tracer so you know it's not like kai can't hold his own on tracer it can't make it work and then you know kai has like a really really wide hit scan hero pool like he can play everything to like an extremely extremely high level so i think that there's like a lot of value in having him in the server for like 
you know, basically just having every swap at your fingertips. And like oh. the, final, the, the final missing piece was like, can we put Kai on Tracer and make it work? And we started to do that and it was working. So it's like, you know, good stage for Kai. And then like uh, in the previous stage, like Edison was playing a lot of Reaper and Sim as well. Mm, yeah. We were playing Reaper and Sim and Eddie's like really strong on both of those. Whereas now, because we're not, we're not really playing those, uh, now it leans a little bit more into Kai. Like there's more hit scan being played as well. Makes sense. You guys, have, you guys have obviously flexed Pelican around a lot as well. I think for most of the stages, because you guys have been, again, like more focused on singular comps, that you're just gonna you're gonna hard run this one type of composition, which means Pelican's probably just gonna play this one hero. He's shown a lot more looks this particular stage than maybe expected. Because I even when I remember him on O2 Blast, he was kind of overshadowed a little bit by Proper, who's still underage and still waiting to be picked up. I'm sure that guy's gonna be a monster next year. Um, but he had to. He had to kind of. Uh, I mean, you guys. You guys have played O2 Blast in the past with the the proper Pelican Duo, and Pelly back then. He, his hero pool, I think, was a little bit more uh, forced to be limited because he had to pick around proper heroes. They, it seemed like the. If I was going to draw a comparison, it kind of seemed like Sparkle Doha's kind of mixed a little bit uh, when I talk about Pelican proper. Because you, when I look at it, and this is just my interpretation, but it does seem like they give preference to. Like, what is Sparkle's best hero in this particular composition? Give that hero to Sparkle and then Doha picks around it. And that's how I yeah. looked at Pelican's position on O2 Blast in the same way. Like, what is Proper's best hero? And then Pelican picks around it. So he ended up being kind of, I wouldn't say shafted, but he he was that player that had to, like, you know, take a bit more of a backseat because Proper was the dude. And now, yeah. like, I don't know how you guys work Pelican into your team, but um, he's been, like, probably one of the most talked about players, like, the number one player that everyone's got on their lips for rookie of the year, potentially MVP, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah, how you guys been working with him? Pelican is a flex god, right? Like he can actually play everything. Genuinely, he can play absolutely everything. Like every hero, he's an incredibly flexible player, and it's not just like a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, like he's actually yeah. like you know one of the best players in the world on multiple heroes, as well as being able to play them all. Like he's just an incredibly good player. So oh, I thought oh. that like Pelican just. Pelican fits into any comp that we want to play. It, it does not matter what we want to play. Pelican will never be the limiting factor in terms of hero pool because he can play it all. So I think that, you know, uh, I mean, I will shit in my hands and clap if that kid doesn't win rookie of the year. Genuinely, like it is insane. <laughs> like he's, he's played it all for us. And every single hero we put him in, he's had carry performances. Like every single hero. Like he, he's a really, really impressive player. People were shitting on him in stage oh, one. Yeah. He had like a couple of deaths on Tracer on like a map five once, you know? Like he had a couple of sus deaths on Tracer at the start of the year in his first Overwatch League match ever. And mm -hmm. it's like, wow, this guy, you know, people saying that he sucks and that they never want to see him on Tracer again. Now he's like winning player of the match every time he picks Tracer and just yeah. like, dominating Sparkle in, in our match most recently. So I think that Pelican, just like an insanely flexible player, like strategically, like, uh, you know, we're picking a comp, but then we're not picking, like, you know, maybe we're trying to pick the Pelican strengths, but at the end of the day, Pelican can play everything. So he will fill any gap. Yeah, I mean, to to your you know to your credit, to your Pelicans credit, to this team being such a, a an, not an evolution, but a team that really kind of feels like it's finally coming into their own with Countdown Cup. Um, defending Pelican Tracer for a moment, looking at how much impact he had specifically on the Havana. I know a little bit of a sore spot, but the second that he swaps to Tracer off of Sim and just immediately dumpsters two people, breaks open that B point, and then you it's just an easy cap, right? Like I think Sideshow mentioned on the the broadcast, right? Like. It may have been a little bit slow, but you get there and then you look at how, you know, overwhelming he can become for this backline, right? It's 
it, he emits so much pressure that I, it, it, it's it, it's genuinely impressive. I didn't know that he had such a Farah, and now he comes out and he's battling some of the best Farahs in the West. He has the Tracer. He has all these picks, some of which maybe we haven't even seen. Like it's it's impressive. He's he's really climbing, you know, climbing up the the rookie of the year ranks for sure. One hundred percent. I can't think of the same. Yeah, like, he's getting in the same league as him. Because like I think the other like big person that might have been in contention was like Piggy, right? Because Piggy had like some really awesome performance Sigma throughout the year. You know, like statistically, he's the best Sigma in the league. Mm-hmm. He's like a he's like a really strong performer on that hero. But other than that, like. When has Piggy had a good performance off Sigma, uh, off Sigma so far? Like, it's just, uh, I don't know. Pelican has unmatched flexibility, and in every stage he has these carry performances. Piggy, mm-hmm. he's done it. He's done it when he can pick Sigma, but not so much elsewhere. Yep. The only other person I feel like has a word in edgewise, or at least did before I saw Sombra, was probably Shy. But... Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I, th- I think there is. I think there is the case for case for shy, honestly, because um, I mean he's been doing pretty well. But again, like because he's someone who's limited more towards like the hard hit scans, yep. whereas Pelican has just shown this like unreal flexibility. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Pelican should be winning it out. But obviously, I'm hysterically biased towards Pelican. <laughs> well, I sit in a room with him every day. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I I had this guy, you know, pegged as a potential right at the top of the season before we'd seen any game before we'd even seen, you know, a single match yet. We just only looked at the rosters, just looking at the rosters on paper. I'm like, dude, I know this Pelican guy fucks. I've seen him play. I've cast him plenty of times. Um, you've got a history with him. You played against him. You guys were in Pacific Showdown. I'm going to do a little bit of fan service here. I want you, I want you to tell the audience your your cheeseburger story with Pelican. Oh, Christ. That's a, that's an old one, man. Um, it's a classic, I remember though. telling you this at the start of the year and he's giggled like an idiot. But yeah, so... We're in Shanghai for the uh, Pacific Showdown because I was I was a player at the time in 2019 and we we made it through the Australian Contenders bracket to the Pacific Showdown and O2 Blaster there Pelican's team, and um they came knocking on our cubicle one day because we were in these office, like these office cubicle things they came knocking on our cubicle one day like offering us food they had all this like leftover Burger King so they they gave us all these burgers and they were all wrapped up and everything it was real nice and everyone's opening them up and they look great and everyone's eating and they're still warm too like it's it's lovely. And I get, I open up my little wrapped up burger and it's half eaten. Like it's, someone has taken bites out of the goddamn <laughs> cheeseburger and then wrapped it back up like they haven't eaten it and given it to given it to us. But I was the only one that had a partially eaten cheeseburger. And then, you know, I went back and, and the others just hadn't eaten their food, right? And then I go onto Twitter and I see they've just tweeted like this team photo of everyone eating their food. And Pelican's sitting there taking a bite out of his burger. And having like having actually gotten here now, I, I'm even more certain that it was him that ate that burger and wrapped it up because that kid does not eat a whole lot. He's a skinny boy so i truly believe that he was the one who gave me that half oh he had a bit of a giggle That's when you recounted that this year when you met him <laughs> uh, tragic i know yeah. what clip i'm putting at the start of the show all right pelican and cheeseburgers yeah is that one is that wasn't <laughs> one as well is like you was it you playing in the booth like he was playing in the booth on stage and you're just making you're just pulling faces at him just like <laughs> just no, fucking good. with him from was, the audience. I was, I was, I was being smashed with Kaiser. But, uh, yeah, that, that was Kaiser. I mean, Pelican was on the stage too, of course, but it was it was Kaiser that was copping the faces of the shouting. Oh, yeah, he was? All right, all right, right. And ben, had, ben had found himself in you know, a like $1 thing of alcohol at the local H-Mart, not H-Mart, <laughs> but at the local shop, yeah, wherever, right. and we'd already been knocked out, so he was just drunkenly yelling at Kaiser. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Fun land stories. Um it's a fun time, no, no so just you know going through your roster a little bit more here as well i think um a lot of people when they looked at the rain roster 
especially early on it was just like oh it's going to be a dps dominated team this is a team that's going to need to be carried by their dps's a lot of people didn't have faith in your back line or your tank line but like but everyone was like oh yeah you know edison kai plus um uh, plus pelican here looks like a pretty good shout and i think most people especially the the people that didn't really keep up with contenders which is a lot of people just kind of took everyone's word like everyone's saying like pelicans kids so we'll just believe it so everyone kind of had this thing about it being a dps dominated team um and then especially when they looked at i think a lot of people were hard underrated gator and hawk and i remember talking to uh dogman dustin bowman who played on the team last year and he had he, he's obviously got uh a lot of insight on how the team worked last year and he always said that Gator and Hawk were really hard-working players, super competitive, um, really passionate players, and he had a lot of faith in that tank line and kind of, you know, talking through him, that that kind of led me to believe, like, yeah, I think Gator and Hawk probably were underrated. But, you know, if you had to defend and talk about your, your, your plays a little bit here, I mean, people people shout on Hawk and Gator pretty hard at the start of the year, but I think now maybe people are starting to come around to the fact that they are pretty decent. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it's actually, like, Maybe when you look at it from the outside, because it has these like superstar DPS players, people naturally want to say like, oh, it's a DPS carried team. But I mean, I think it's just completely untrue. You know, like I think Hawk has already won like a few player of the matches. Gate has already won a few player of the matches for like having really, really strong, uh, strong performances in games. And like the, the same can be said for like everyone on the team. Like just because there are big names on DPS, you know, we have like even within the DPS line, you know, like at the start of the year, people were saying shit like no Kai, no win. And then we went yeah. to Hawaii with Kai on the bench, right? Like it's we're not relying on any one player to drag us over the finish line by any means because everyone is actually really really strong at what they do and maybe from the outside sometimes it's a little bit harder to see like what people bring to the table in terms of why the team is winning but i think that it's actually like a very well-balanced team in terms of the reason that we're winning is because everyone's good at what they're doing and i think people there's been a, some misconception as well in terms of looking at specific hero pools because a lot of people be like oh well gator he's like maybe an orissa ryan two trick and people look at maybe iris being like oh yeah this guy is just only bap player kind of thing and uh, i think a lot of people just didn't even really bring up master's name which is a bit of a shame because i you know when, when mm. i've looked I, I put out a tweet public and when i looked at your games and reviewed them i thought master was like honestly really fucking good um and i think i think there was some maybe uh, in terms of what builds people's narratives as well like the previous rain i think last year's rain made people's you know impression of the team maybe a little bit sour because the, there was a the whole gatekeeping thing you're just a gatekeeper team you're like a midway team that can always beat bad teams but you'll never beat the good teams kind of thing that that reputation was there and i think a lot of people consider that iris was like yeah he's okay but last year iris people people thought that iris wasn't that great um and so then you just have a case where a lot of your team gets hard underrated or at least the reputation is a bit tainted and sour from last year so i don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah, well, well, look, I mean, I think that this this year's roster is just objectively better than last year's roster, like, re realistically speaking, you know? Like, I think that they, like, upgraded the, significantly upgraded the talent and versatility of the DPS line. And then, I mean, everything else is actually the same, right? Like, the tank line is the same, and the support line is the same. But I think that, you know, they, they improved the versatility of the DPS line significantly. And then I think the philosophy of the team changed a little bit. Like, last year, they had, like, this really big roster, so they were trying to, like, chop and change who plays, like, what, the, what strings they're trying to play to. Because, like, when you have a bigger roster, you can fall into the trap of trying to just, like appeal to everyone right like i had popo in so you, sometimes i would try to play dive with popo but i remember scrimming them last year and it's like they weren't they weren't a particularly strong dive team either but you know they would still do it because it's like the, they've got the winston player they want to play the dive mm. oh, you've, got, you've got some cute pictures in there i see oh my god I, I like the i like the hybrid picture i should make that my head but yeah um <laughs> uh but yeah so 
I think that like there, there were some upgrades to the DPS line for sure, but then there's also just like a shift in philosophy in terms of because they have like this, we have the smaller roster and now we know like what we're going to be good at, what we're going to be weak on, what we need to work on in order to win and what we need to play to in order to win. I think that that just improves the team overall. I think that having the, the big 12 man roster can be a little bit of a trap if you're trying to like give everyone play time, like figure out who's playing all the time. Like you're, you're going to waste a week of scrims just figuring out who's starting. Like we don't have that issue now. When it comes to, you know, narrative and philosophy, looking at the Atlanta rain, I think there is a, it's not a misconception because obviously we don't know for sure. And hopefully you can shed some light on this, but I think there is an idea that this is a very player, uh, not a player led team, but like a player, a very vocal player, uh, team when it comes to like how they want to do things, what they want to do. Um, yeah. kind of put this to bed. Is that, is that necessarily founded in truth or is that completely not the case? And you guys kind of ran over them with an iron fist. Uh, it's definitely not a team that's run over with an iron fist. I, I'm not really an iron fist kind of guy. And then <laughs> definitely neither, neither is Sophie or whatever, you know, like right. we're, we're all people that like, we, we like to have like strong relationships and like friendships with the players. Mm. And then in turn, like, I think a part of that, you know, if you're going to be like that, it's difficult to simultaneously be ruling over everyone with a high iron fist, you know, like it's, it's good to be like disciplinary when required, you know, like get annoyed, get annoyed at people when required and, you know, like tell things to them straight. But at the same time, you know, th this is a team where it's like, everyone's opinion is respected and everyone speaks up and says their mind and then if you speak up and say your mind it, it's going to have an impact on the strategy that we're that we're taking whereas i know that a lot of other teams you know it's sort of like you know they'll have a head coach and it's like it's his way or the highway and there is right. there's no wiggle room whatsoever you know the team will live and die by the head coach's decision and there is no room for it to change and that's definitely not the case here so players are like very vocal when it comes oh to like God. strategy and what they want to do what they feel comfortable with and you guys kind of take that and run with it I mean, you know, some people are definitely more vocal than others, but it's more like, you know, if you have an opinion, it's absolutely going to be heard and you're not just going to be forced to do something for weeks and weeks on end that you mm. don't like because, you know, we, you know, the players actually have intelligent opinions too, right? Like yeah. I think relying on one person to just make all the decisions from the top down is a, is a flawed way to go about things. I mean, dude, like, this is, this even, I, I mean, I've heard about, uh, you know, back to Dustin a little bit who was on the team last year. Like he has stories of last year where I think the, the whole uh players being active in their kind of feedback and and adding to the overall team uh structures as as far as coaching goes that's been there for a little while where they had mm. that entire there was that story that uh he he said publicly on his show about uh the time when it just became a player-led team for a little bit i can't remember if it was last year or the year before that it could have been 2019 it might have yeah. been 2019 actually because uh, they had that that playoffs run there was a stage there where I'm I'm I might be getting my timelines mixed up, so forgive me. But there's, there's definitely, we'll heal you in a minute, mate. Um, there's definitely <laughs> been a timeline there where they kind of just became player led, and they just kind of did their own thing. They believed, I think, yeah, it was during like a was it during the hog meta or something like that? That was last year, wasn't it? Um, yeah, that, that was last year. In the yeah, and they, I think I think they discovered last year that there was some sort of comp. Maybe they knew the Zarya was going to be good. Or they knew the Hog was going to be good, or something like that. And they wanted to run that. And then there was this, this bit of disconnect with the coaching staff. And you know they were running something they felt was good good for a while. And they were winning. And then they, you know, then the coaching staff got reintegrated back. Well, I don't I don't know the full story. I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing here a little bit. And then um, it's sort of to to get back mixed back into how it was meant to be with with coaches taking taking the lead and then they had mixed results again or something like that so there was there was that kind of whole story that came out which i think swayed the public into the whole like oh yeah atlanta shit coaches kind of kind of narrative um but i think we always knew that atlanta is a team we're a team that was very capable in terms of players taking a lot of charge 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all just about having a balance, right? Like, you know, being able to keep people in check and being able to keep people on the right track, but also being able to hear them out. I think that like everyone's coaching philosophy differs in that regard, though. Like the, there are many teams in the league that are just ruled with an iron fist, and that's yeah. that's fine too. Like that works for some of them, but I think that you know personally, I believe that that creates like a higher stress environment for a lot of people. You know, like there's there's more pressure on everyone all the time. Uh, both for the players and the coaches, because yeah. you know, like you'll you'll permanently feel like you need to perform to this coach's vision. And then mm. if the players at any point like don't respect you at all, then everything falls apart. Because if you tell them to do something that's wrong, you're just forcing them to do it over and over again. It's going to lose all respect for you really, really quickly. As you say, hey, do this thing, and it's just making them lose, and they can see that, but you can't. So I think that you need yeah. to you need to be able to like see when you're wrong and change things based on that. It's tricky, man. Like I think coaching in in, in a lot of ways, like there's this whole personal to personality into personal relationship kind of thing that has to be managed and that's always like the hardest part with gamers and everybody is, is and maybe that's even harder remote i'm pretty sure um but there's like that whole emotional connection between people and that rapport building that's that's gets overlooked a lot uh when you know everyone thinks of it, it's just like everyone's playing video games but who respects who and, and where the morale is as a team and you know how people respond to feedback and everything is pretty crucial i mean and you've had a decent amount of time coaching now since you've been a player you've been through british hurricane you've been through la valiant you're here now um yeah. i mean how is how has your coaching philosophy changed over the years and especially now the difference between working on LA valiant compared to this team uh well i mean i think on valiant like i mean you say in terms of like how's the philosophy changed i said the philosophy hasn't actually changed that much but it's more just like finding a place where like my what I'm doing fits culturally because I think that like I had a really good cultural fit on Hurricane because I got along really well with all the players and they were all really happy to take things on. On Valiant though, like uh, I fit really well with Packington. Like, I really like working with Packington. He was a cool guy. Like, he was good at yelling at people when it mattered and good at being <laughs> nice to people when it wasn't. Like he's good at good at rapport building and just like a good leader overall. But um, I didn't have like the greatest cultural fit with some of the players in the you know like some players they want to be ruled with an iron fist. Some mm. players just want to be told what to do and, and how to do it all the time. So because I'm not really that person where I don't want to be super, super prescriptive, um, that can be a little more challenging. So I don't think that I was a perfect cultural fit for some of the players on Valiant because they, you know, they wanted to just be told exactly what to do. And then, you know, they wanted to be like screamed at all the time if you weren't doing that. And I'm just not really that kind of guy. I, I'm, you know, more of like the shit post for the players kind of guy. Let's be real. Here. <laughs> so... So yeah, and then then I come to Atlanta, and it's like a it's like a full fit, honestly, where I feel like I just you know the way that I want to go about things, the way that I want to deliver feedback to people, can like it works really well with everyone's personality. So I can't think of a better group of players than hitting people like Gator Hall and stuff like that, where they're just. I mean, you see what the team is like culturally from the outside, at least. Do you think I was against? Do you think I was against us not capping the point? Right. I'm pretty sure you instigated it. That might have been your idea. Like, who the hell knows? Uh, dude, I, I think the... I agree, man. I, I couldn't think of a better team, honestly, culturally, because I, I already knew how you were as a person. Uh, Atlanta obviously has that bad boy vibe, and they have that kind of um, that culture about them. I think they're one of the more personal teams. I mean, this is one thing you guys got going for your team is a really well-personable team in terms of strong personality, and um, Atlanta has had that same vibe throughout its entire history with multiple different players i don't even know if there's a single is there a single player in the roster that existed from day one atlanta from 2018 i'm not too sure 2019 rather but i mean master's, master's yeah. been there oh yeah so master's been there yeah. brad's been here there the whole time and you've had this kind of atlanta persona that's that stayed through for for a couple of years now which is really cool um yeah i mean what were your impressions of atlanta when you were on on valiant because you you'd scrim against them maybe you played against them um 
So before you even joined this team, look from the outside, like, what, what, what did you think? Well, I, mean, I thought they were, I thought they were a pretty good team. But then, you know, like last year they sort of just had their issues. You know, like they had um, they had Dogman who would just, you know, like occasionally just hard throw stuff like that. <laughs> and um, but I mean, like, you know, they were like a, they were a team that would like always dominate scrims. You know, like a really strong team. And then sometimes they would just fall short. You know, like they, they kind of last year and even the year before they kind of earned that gatekeeper narrative, right? Because they just kept not getting into the tournament, stuff like that. Whereas now, you know, that's almost more like Glads because. You know, like Glads have actually been exactly the same as Atlanta in terms of like their placement in every tournament all the time, except for this year, where Glads have continued to do it and never win anything and never make it to Hawaii or do anything like that. Whereas Atlanta has actually changed and started to go deep into tournaments and have significantly better results. But yeah, I mean, they were also just ourselves, right? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's, that's, that that's part of the charm, though, is it? I'm not too sure. It is, it is. Yeah, I think it is. It's not, it's not like I hated them for it. Some people, some people will have <laughs> I like I like a bit of shit talking. Yeah. Like that, so cool. <laughs> um, I I actually want to get into a little bit about because you know before we got into before we started recording, uh, we we kind of had a bit of a chat and I said like you know, would you would you have opinions on some of the other teams here? Obviously, I don't want to get into any any tricky waters where I'm not going to make you say something you don't want to say or have you shit talking that will get you in trouble. But I am curious as to. You know where yeah. everything lands across the league right now because oh, you've, also, you've also been across a few different teams uh oh, and you talked about british hurricane i'm pretty sure uh, are there right, still right, 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 right. lots of british right. hurricane players on london oh, currently yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the whole whole team minus joffy no way uh, everyone except for joffy because when no i when way. i left yeah. soon after that yes joffy got killix but the, the rest of the roster is the same yeah except so, for hybrid as well so of course. what what do you what do you think's up with them then because you've worked with that whole roster pretty much predominantly you work with the whole roster and now they're they're on a massive loss streak. Uh, to be fair, a lot of that loss streak came through from last year's London roster as well. But really, they haven't recovered. And London is what's their current scoreline? Does anyone know off the top of their head? They're uh, 0-14. Oh, 14, 14. Yeah. So what's what, when you look at this team? When you know their players and how they work, and you see that record, what what are you thinking? Well, Blase is also new. Danad, um, Danad was also there, and he's not there anymore. Um, so I think that the, the thing with London is that like they're in a very difficult spot, right? Like they're permanently playing on high ping, like it's it's awkward for them. And then they came from a scene where it was like a, a year long of just domination for them, right? Like they would never lose anything all the time. Like they were they were super used to winning all the time. All, all of 2020, all they did was win. Like every scrum, every contentious match, just permanently. They, they lost like one thing in the whole year and it was just losing to American tournament and like the NA the EU finals, like 4-3. So they came off like a really, really long streak of winning and then they had like a really harsh awakening with Al where suddenly all of their scrims are on ping at a disadvantage. All of the teams they're facing are significantly harder all the time. So yeah. there's a huge increase in the difficulty of their opponents permanently. And I think that that's really hard. Like that's something where, you know, you need to like, you need to be mentally prepared to just start getting fucked instead of winning all the time. Like it's a, it's a really, really big difference because they weren't exactly like an Overwatch League winning roster at the beginning of it. But I do think that like, you know, that, that was probably a really difficult adjustment for them early on in the season. They made a couple of roster changes, you know, minus Joffy, uh, minus Danad, plus plus Blase and plus Kellex, which I don't think were, I don't think were like bad changes, but also, you know, maybe that changed a little bit for the, maybe that changed some things for the team. Because I do think that, you know, like sometimes back on Hurricane, you know, like Danad would just drag us across the finish line. Like, you right. know, he would just lock Doom and just kill everything. Not to not to put any shade on Blase or anything like that. That's just, you know, when I was there, Danad was there, now Blase's mm. there. So, um, it, you know, there are some differences. But I do think that uh, overall, like, it's just, it's hard to go from winning all the time to losing all the time. 
and then maybe strategically like at the start of the season i feel like they had a wrong, the wrong approach like they were doing a lot of like mirroring dive teams like they were looking at green teams like apac teams basically full green teams that are playing in na and they were playing dive mirrors versus them and i feel like that's not really the right approach when um you know you're from eu where people don't play a whole lot of dive the the standard of dive skill is like really low like they have so much catch-up work to do and they spent not so much time playing to their strengths so i think that you know maybe there were a few like early season wins that they could have snagged and avoided this massive loss streak if they like early on had a different philosophy in terms of what they were going to play but i don't think that they played to their strengths enough at all at the start of the season yeah any thoughts on that, Joe? I definitely respect the idea that, like, obviously playing your strengths is super important. It's something that I think for a long time has been absent from Overwatch. Um, I guess my question would be, you know, is this something that you expect to move forward with the game that teams are going to have to learn to do more of? Where, like, you can't just identify one thing is really, really strong, assume that that's what's going to be run ad nauseum but you have to find exactly what what fits this roster what you guys are actually going to do well what you can actually practice against and and kind of find your own style of things is that kind of the meta around the meta if that makes sense i think it it kind of depends on the the balance of the game to be honest like the flavor of this year has been that nothing is really really busted so nothing is hard meta like last year playoffs if you weren't playing Hog, you were a fucking idiot because Hog right. was just completely broken, right? Like Washington was a shit team and they made it deep into playoffs just picking Hog. Just just picking a broken hero when a bunch of other teams just refused to do it. Like uh, Houston, Toronto, like they all nearly got far into playoffs despite being really weak teams yeah. just because they were picking the right hero. And then like Ash Mercy was really strong for all of last year. Brig was insanely strong for like the majority of last year. Like there, there were so many things last year and the year before, like in the GOATS year, where Things were just meta because they were so much better than the alternatives. Whereas mm. this year, things are not hard meta. I really don't think that this year there's like one hard meta comp in any given place. I think that there's lots of wiggle room everywhere. And I think perceiving like a, a big trap to fall into is thinking that something is hard meta and then thinking, we're, even though we're bad at this on an individual skill level, this is what we need to learn. I think if you fall into that trap, then you're just going would to you... lose to the team that is more individually skilled one-to-one on those heroes. Would, would you hmm. say that Jun Joust is hard meta, though? Because I, I would now concede, I look at Jun Joust and I think that was a hard meta with Lucio Moro. Because um, uh, d- my internal narrative, my, my canon, says that Dallas kind of perpetuated that meta a lot because they were the winning team and they they were already playing Lucio Moro in May Melee because... You know they're a fast team and they lack the they they lacked some of the more you know hit scan uh, parts of their team so they couldn't play certain compositions and i looked at june and like okay well fuel are obviously gonna play this very i don't want to call it basic but it's it's a very straightforward comp for them and then i see everyone playing it and then eventually i'm like you know i i have you have shanghai going to june i'm like okay well surely shanghai don't have to play this surely the apex got their their, their strats lined up and they're not going to be susceptible to this but they they end up even then going towards lucio mori and they adapt further they play the ball and they won the june joust but i i think june joust would have been the one meta this year which where i would have said probably by especially by the end if you're not playing lucio mori it just felt like you were behind I think if you weren't playing it on cough, you were you were kind of as hard throwing, and then everyone wound up playing it everywhere else as well. But I don't think it was actually hard meta in terms of like balance and strength of other things. I think that there was definitely room to play other comps. Like in Hawaii, we tried to play another comp, but then we kind of we shied away from it in the middle of the match. Like we we done a little bit of prep to try and counter out those uh, Lucio Moira comps, but then we wound up just going for the net. And the moment decided. Maybe we're more likely to win this, but I think that, like, given the benefit of hindsight, I don't think that it was hard matter. I think it was very okay. beatable. I think that if we actually just played our counter comps properly, then we, we would have had a significantly better chance. So I think that even there, 
where everyone wound up mirroring, I, I think that we would have had a better chance just playing a counter because it wasn't actually that hard. What, what do you think is a counter? Can I ask? What do you what do you think is a counter to that? Because I was trying to figure out the whole time. Oh, and... I mean, we like it was it was when we loaded into Nombani where like things went wrong because we decided to we decided to like mirror instead of playing the counter and the counter comps. You know, they involved like they involved like Brig, Mora slash Bap. Torb, like Torb was really important okay. because because there was no pocket for Echo because Brig was banned in that state. Yeah. Wait, no, no, it wasn't. Uh, what was banned in that state? Zen was banned. Zen was banned. Yeah. Right, but because teams were playing Lucio Moira Echo, there was nothing to heal the Echo in the sky. So Torb was really, really, really good into that. Uh, Bap was quite good into it because he could shoot him out of the sky. So all you needed to be able to do was to like survive the initial coalescence push because they couldn't push you dry when you had Brig, Bap, Torb. I think it was like Reaper as well. Reaper was like a nice greedy right. pick you could play into it. So like lots of heroes that. On their own, they look like shit, but when you you reversing that one comp that everyone was playing, it was actually pretty good because you just played a bunch of heroes that could survive the initial dive. Yeah. And then all you had to do was build up one support ult. So I, I think we started playing Amora and trying to build up a coalescence at the same pace because that was just the easiest thing to do. And then if you could survive the initial coalescence dive, you're in a really, really good spot to just counter out all of their ults for the, for the remainder I, I... of the map. I also think Moira was a bit busted. I mean, they nerfed Moira's coal charge. Yeah, Moira, Moira, was, Moira was fucked. She was building coal too quickly. Yeah, just it was ridiculous. I think that nerf was well deserved. I think Moira definitely um, getting a bit of a nerf was was required, yeah. uh, which is probably, probably we just why started, we just started picking Moira in the countercom, and then we could build we, oh. then we could build coal at the same rate. Like that was the solution to the problem in the end. It was just don't have the brig heal, don't have the brig steal healing from your Moira, and yeah. you will build coal at the same rate, and then it's okay. But we just shied away from it in the match, so we kind of fucked ourselves there, honestly. When it comes to, you know, adapting to those comps or creating counter comps, how much of the, on, not onus, but uh, how much are you limited by the amount of time that you actually have to prep? You know, you go, you obviously, extremely. It's it's got to be super tight, right? Yeah, no, it's it's really, really, really hard, especially for like the Hawaii games and stuff like that, where like, you know, there's another region playing like a whole new set of comps that you've never seen before. Like mm. that just makes it even more difficult. Like you, you add on bands, balance changes, travel for Hawaii, shit like that. Oh. Like it, it becomes nearly impossible to think up everything that or to look at everything that the enemy is going to play and then have a solution for all of it. So I think that it's definitely it's flat out like for the, for the whole duration that you're competing, like there's. There's a lot of work to be done all the time in terms of figuring mm. out what's good, what's bad, what counters what, what you should be playing, what swaps you need to be making. And then obviously it's not just about the hero swaps, then you need to actually devise strategy around it, tell right. people how you want them to play when they change the heroes. So it's like, a, there's a lot to do. When it, obviously hero pools for me was always like a nightmare for when it comes to coaching. And, and, it, was, and it was like, much worse last year. It was much worse last year. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, worse, yeah. Holy shit. But when it was, comes was to like... strategy last year. Sure. I mean, it was, it was, it's got to be impossible to try to figure out like what's being week played on week. the hero pool, what that week even week. looks like, what yeah. maybe a counter looks like, right? It's, it's, I, I do not envy your guys' job. It's, it's really Saints work. Um, but when it comes to like now that the, the, the regions are completely separated, now that there's completely different scrim bubbles, you're starting to see, even without hero pools being implemented in some of these months, um, you know, there's there are differences of opinions. There are different compositions kind of popping up. Do you feel like this is necessary at this point that the hero pools themselves to to add novelty to the league so that we don't see the same thing? Obviously, that's the kind of the big narrative when it comes to the audience. Like they get you know viewer fatigue when they see the same compositions. Is do you think it's necessarily, and do you think that it would actually help the in, not the integrity but the competitive level of both regions as a whole, not having to adapt on the fly to all these different changes? It'd be nice if there were no hero pools just because this year the game has been so diverse in terms of even without the bands everyone's mm -hmm. playing different stuff in fact it's it's when bands come around that people will wind up playing the exact same thing <laughs> yeah because 
because you have less time because you don't know doing yeah yeah exactly so it's actually when the bands come around that everyone just winds up fucking jerking off in a circle in a mirror but um i think that's more with the benefit of hindsight right like you, you sure. can't really know that that's going to be the state of balance and they decided this league format before the year had started so i see how it happened but you know in hindsight i think it would be nice if there weren't a hero course it'd be a little, little easier to think about the game strategically like from a I mean, standpoint player's standpoint there, mm-hmm. there, there was a discussion there was i don't know if this got around to the team i assume this got around to the teams but there was an internal discussion in may melee and i think towards the end of may melee where it was like hey do we want to keep hero pools or not for this year because there was a stat line where no oh, really? hero was picked above 50 percent. i think the highest yep. picked hero yeah. was tracer and it was somewhere between 45 and 49 and no hero was picked above 50 percent. there was an internal discussion like maybe we could actually not do hero pools but i think at the same time there would have been you'd have to if you were going to bin hero pools for June Joust, you have to bin it for the whole year. And I think there was some level... I don't know why they, they still ended up with... I mean, it was a discussion. It was worth talking about. And they obviously went sure. with the decision to keep the hero pools in. And that... I, I, it's hard for me to speculate, but a part of it might just be a timing thing where, like, well, there's not a lot of time for turnaround here. You have to change a bunch of rules. It, it might fuck some teams up. And the expectation was that we were going to do hero pools. So it's keeping to the status quo might just be the uh, easier thing. That's just where you know to add some context into the harry pool discussion i there was something really interesting actually um because we were talking about london not not that long ago and and there was the whole like eu discussion about the where eu was and uh london british arcan dominating and then also the ping sort of situation but then you look at a team like paris right and you have to think well they're also on ping they're also eu players and if nothing else these are the eu players that kind of got owned by Harish Khan. These are the, these are, I, I jokingly refer to the most of the Paris squad as like the cut off EU players because they felt like the bits and pieces they got left behind and they ended up building a team, credit to Avala here, where they're now seven and seven and they've turned their entire season around. They might not win the Overwatch League, but I don't think that's their goal. I think they just want to be a reasonable team, which they are right now. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't know how the whole ping discussion works and the whole, you know, the EU discussion works when, when Paris seem to be getting along and, and making some decent progress when London is still left behind. I think, I think it's a fair point. Uh, I think one thing to note is that, like, Ripper from um, from Hurricane, or from London, now, he has, like, he has really, really bad ping. Like, he's... Really bad, okay. What's he, what's he, what's he finish? Like, he, he plays on, like, a wireless stick or something. He, he gets, like, 100 or 200 ping. Like, he, like, he has a really bad connection to NA. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that he, like, I'm surprised that he signed up for playing Overwatch League, honestly. Because, like, <laughs> knowing, the condi- knowing the conditions that he had to for the whole year so like he specifically has like a really really bad run with the ping compared to everyone else but i do think you raised like a very valid point about paris and that it's like paris is literally a roster of people that were getting shit on by hurricane throughout the year scattered across different rosters of course in contenders but then paris just built like a really they built a roster that's actually good at some stuff like they, they built they built a team where they have people who are actually really really good at the heroes they play and they play to that and then they also got J Mac as a coach and i think that J Mac is probably like super I mean, he should be, like, really highly publicly rated, I think. Because, I mean, I think he's done, like, a really good job with that team. Like, strategically, you can see that the way they're approaching their matches, they're playing to their strengths really hard. And mm-hmm. they're doing things that nobody else are doing. Like, they are trendsetters in terms of what they do at some of these stages. Like, they're, they're actually really, really good. And they have a strong understanding of that. And I feel like if you're going to credit that, credit anyone with that, other than the players for being skilled at it, you'd have to credit him. Because he's, you know, like a, a former Korean main tank player mm-hmm. who probably has a very strong understanding of dive, things like that. Just like almost kind of like weird because like I think when he played on London last year, he he was kind of memed on a little bit. But it all, all, there's always this thing where like you know sometimes you might have an average career as a player, but you end up being a really good coach. Oh. So it's hard to say. But um, but yeah, yeah like J Mac transitioned really well because he he had a rough time on London last year. For sure. I mean, there are a lot of people who have like a 
they have a really strong understanding of the game on paper, but then you know you, you put them in the game and it's oh, it's obviously hard to execute that too, right? You need to be able to think really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. You can't just watch from the top down, sit for a while, mull over it, yeah. and present your feedback. You actually have to play the game in real time. So I think that you know former pro players often make good coaches, like a, a lot of like main sport players, main tank players, like the, those roles where you're kind of leading the whole team and you need to think about the big picture a lot in order to play it. I think those are like uh, often pro player re-rolls, pretty common from that. Um, so just moving along in terms of some of these other teams as well, just something that gets me really curious is obviously Vancouver won their first game recently and um, because they ruined the bread bowl it'd be it'd be be kind of messed up for us to to not go over some of the important matches that our uh, regular viewers probably expect us to talk about a little bit here but vancouver got an upset win over boston and i was if anyone i think we i don't know if we would uh, all agree here but london versus toronto to me probably would have been on paper the match that was going to be the upset win if anything that ends up being vancouver versus um boston obviously there's I don't know if you have much of a relationship with um, Punk or Chex or anyone else on that team, but obviously you you've had some um, you've had some experience with Punk in the past, so you probably know him reasonably well. Um, yeah, we're, we're mates. Yeah, like, so like I mean, what's did you did you did you see this coming? I don't think anyone saw this coming. Surely... No, no one no one saw this coming. No, nobody saw this coming at all. That was just out of the blue. I don't know how the fuck they lost that game. How the fuck they lost that game three zero? Even worse. It's just weird. It's not like Boston are the best team in the world, by any means. But again, like no, no one would have seen that loss coming. No way. Nope. And they got it's bridge six too. It's just a... I think I, I think I was looking looking over that as well. There was that one there was that one uh, mecha base map where apparently Punky lagged out because I remember yeah, I I talking that. to him a little bit. He lagged out and he got sent yeah. back to lobby. Something happened. And if you look at his POV in the replay viewer just before the OT he's happens and they see right? nine. He's literally, he's, in his POV, he's literally just still frozen for about a second and a half or two seconds. And then he suddenly flies to the point and just misses a touch by like 0.05 seconds or something. And if they touch that, they might be able to turn that map around and maybe get the win. So, yeah, I don't know. No, that, that, it's funny you mentioned that actually. Something about Diva players, because uh, in our match versus Washington, not versus Washington, in our match versus Florida as well in Havana, like we had a first point retake fight. It was really, really close. And Hawk got tubbed out of the game. And his game crashed at a later huh. later moment in the series. But yeah, Hawk got tubbed out. Like if you go to Hawk's point of view on first point defense Havana from our match versus Florida, you'll just see him start shooting at a wall and walking off into the distance for like five seconds straight in the middle of a fight. So it's like a. Did he all It's really unfortunate when shooting. No, um, you're like blocked from all having in the in the tournament. So right? the so game bugged out then? Yeah, it's it's some some weird thing. It must be like a like a like an update notification coming Jesus up on your Christ. computer or something like that. Huh. But yeah, I mean that that was like the most unfortunate thing ever for Boston. They they literally like lose a map to Punky getting tabbed out, and then they lose the next two maps probably because they're like mental boomed over losing oh. a map to Vancouver. But yeah, people said they very, were, very unfortunate. People said they weren't flexible, but they were running the rest of the whole time. Um, but as we've kind of talked over here so first of all point one is that i think we can all agree there's no like one set meta you must run this comp every single time but also i don't think Arissa is a bad that's not a bad choice either like that's a fairly good shot to to run in this current meta boston did run that the entire time um some people said i'm 37 looked a bit maybe potentially uncomfortable on the sombra there's a bunch of other things in there as well um and then vancouver obviously got a bit of fire underneath them and i think once you're vancouver you want a map you start smelling the blood you're like holy shit we can win this and when you're 2-0 up and you realize hang on a second as long as we don't get reverse swept we can actually win this at that stage i think boston are boomed and vancouver are almost like you know mentally they've won the mental battle they've won at that stage yeah if you're staring down the barrel of vancouver you've already lost the game i think because 
just because they're the team that it's like you're just not allowed to lose to them. You're genuinely not allowed to lose to Vancouver. Nobody is. Same, same goes with London. So as soon as those guys start beating you, like your, your mentors will shatter. Like it is harder to look at a zero to, I'd imagine at least, I don't know, I've been there, but it would be harder to look at a zero to score line versus Vancouver than it would be to look at a zero to score line versus Fuel, Shock, Glads, Houston, any of those teams. Because you just know, you know in your heart that you shouldn't be losing to Vancouver. You, yeah. just, you just know it. So it's like, what is going wrong? It's over. Do you have, um... already thrived. Do you have any thoughts on, because like I said, I, I kind of teed up this as the other match, but London-Toronto, right? And London, I just still aren't able to get away. I think Toronto's a weird team in a way because they're the team that people forget about. Is that, happening, is that happening next week? No, nah, they've already played. London and Toronto already played each other. And um, yeah. Toronto won that 3-1. and one. And Toronto seems to be this kind of forgotten team in a lot of people's eyes because no one really talks about Toronto. They exist. No one really says like, oh, this is, this is a kind of bad team. Although I think secretly when you look at some of the games that they played, it doesn't feel great because they, they're where they are on the standings again. They are, I believe they should be bottom 10, surely. Let me just take a look real quick. Uh, they're actually number 7. They're 8-6 and six on 8 points. So this is a like, weird team because they're technically above Paris. But if you were to like kind of ask around, I would say that in my mind, Paris sounds like a stronger team, feels like a stronger team. But Toronto is kind of in the middle there. I, I, I don't know if you guys have much experience versus Toronto, what you guys think about them as a team. But they, and this other thing here is I'll Toronto play San Francisco and you would love it if Toronto beat San Francisco, I'm sure. But yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know how likely it is, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'd love it because, you know, anything that puts, puts the uh, two, four and five seeds down right now is a nice thing for us. I do think that, like, Defiant, like, they're kind of slept on in the sense that, like, they have some, like, real talent on their roster, you know? Like, they have people that are actually, like, really, really, really good at what they do, but then they also just have people who are not very, very good at what they do. It's it's kind of the same thing with Washington, honestly. I feel like Toronto and Washington have very much the same issue, where it's, like, they have multiple players who are, like, insanely good, and then they have other people who are just shit, really, just, like, okay. not good enough. And all it really takes is, like, one or two people being not good enough at this level for your team to just suffer inexcusably, you know? Like, for your, if you've got two people that suck, you're going to lose a lot of matches to those two people throwing your games over and over and over again. That just sounds, that's, like, that's sounds what, like Overwatch at all, yeah, <laughs> at all levels. <laughs> but that's that's what happens to teams like, like Toronto and to teams like Washington, where it's just, like, the whole, overall, the roster's, like, you look at the players on the roster and you're like, wow, this team's going to be so good. Like, look at all these awesome, genuinely good players. But then your eyes just kind of like skim over the people that are going to throw the series. Because like, they will. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, save you, I'll save you the defamation of naming anybody so we won't go that far. I don't want to get you into hot water there, but I appreciate the I mean, honesty we anyway. It, we, lost Toronto, we lost it to Toronto at the start of the season, remember? We got rid of the sweat Yeah. So... <laughs> Reverse sweeping. Speaking of which, I mean, there's there's soul that actually got there. Another reverse sweeping. So you you were saying before. I don't know if you. I can't. I think you said this before we started recording, but you didn't really. You probably haven't seen a lot of the APAN games. Um, but I wanted to dive into a little bit anyway. Maybe this will just end up being me, me and Joe talking a little bit more. Um, but just to go over what's been happening on that side of the world. But um, Shanghai. Okay, let's be real. They're obviously tanking a little bit easier. But that being said, they actually came through with. A, a really big win over Seoul. And I think I said this in the last episode, Joe, but I was like, okay, even if Shanghai don't give a shit and they don't plan to go to Hawaii and they don't really care about winning, they will come in and they will try their absolute hardest against Seoul because there's just that rivalry that's always been brewing from day one and they don't want to, they mm -hmm. do not want to lose to Seoul no matter what. That was still a pretty close game. Um, and I think this is kind of like almost the peak of Shanghai for Countdown Cup, which is kind of a shame because the peak of Shanghai for Countdown Cup is a narrow 3-2 victory versus Seoul, which really goes to show that 
their kind of lax schedule and them taking a bit of a break and playing their bench a little bit um it's kind of it's kind of hurt them a little bit here and uh it's it's really no surprise that shanghai are not going to be going to count the cup and if for whatever reason they squeeze in as like the fourth seed i don't even know that they win their knockout match and if they win their knockout match i don't know that they'll be particularly good so right. as much as until you're saying like it's great that shanghai are there i don't know that shanghai would be great even if they were in the tournament just from yeah, what i'm probably seeing. not right like they they started late it sounds like it, it felt like they started late um it's probably best in the long run. Like they have the cushion to be able to go into playoffs, say, look, we probably need a break. We want to give, you know, the players a kind of a mental reset coming into such a big, important match. One that seems to be like very winnable for them, right? Like we've seen this roster reach such heights and be so, you know, competent on so many different things that, you know, I, I feel like it would be a disservice to the league if they weren't coming in with as much resources as possible, coming in as fresh as they can. Um, Obviously, things are probably going to change with the patch. Uh, what that looks like, it's difficult to say. But uh, yeah, it's probably for the best that Shanghai doesn't go. Much in the same way that Dallas kind of is maybe not going. Pretty sure Shanghai's booking their tickets to Texas now. I'm pretty sure they'll be uh, on their way over to you. Genuinely, I feel like they might want to just leave earlier and get used to being there sooner rather than go close to the tournament and then get fucked on sleep and adaptation of the schedule, that sort of thing. I genuinely believe. Like, Just move next door to if Dallas. They're, if they're, start hanging out. If they're not going, it's because they want to go earlier to Dallas. I believe that. I mean, it makes sense. Go to Dallas exactly. It's it's you know something that the league might not be super happy with, but you know your job's to win a championship. Your your job's to bring home the trophy. Why yeah. wouldn't you? You have that kind of cushion. You were good enough all season to be able to build up that gap. Who, who, who cares about that? I mean, the team's got Hawaii be happy. They don't give a shit. Like, it's like, Shanghai don't want to play? Cool, I'll play. That'll be my dub. I'll take that free dub. Like, you know, Jesus Christ. If they, if the they, one if they thing don't want to sit the table and eat, man, I'm having double serving, so. Yeah, why not? The one thing I'll say with Seoul is that there has been this big narrative um, that they are kind of, um, they, they seem very focused in one direction coming into a tournament. So they come out really, really strong. They have a good idea of what they want to do, but they fail to adapt in some certain situations. I feel like this is a good sole example of them actually being super flexible. They're throwing out dive looks. They're throwing out Arisa looks. I think they started on Arisa and they're trying to pepper in more dive. Um, and it looks, it looks solid overall. Like I, I genuinely believe this is probably their best chance to have a good tournament. Um, obviously there's well, still some steep competition with Chengdu and whatnot, but they look good. Because they also reverse sweep Philly. And that's the thing. It's yeah. like Philly fans, once again, heartbroken. They're just phenomenally, inevitably, and forever heartbroken because they're 2-0 up and they get reverse sweep. But I don't think... You, I mean, you guys, you mentioned you got reverse sweep by Toronto. And that's probably... Getting reverse sweep by anybody feels like probably utter shit, right? I mean, I can't even yep. imagine. Yeah, not a good feeling. But, dude, that's Philly... Philly look like they had a good plan. Philly look like they uh, are on to a, a decent amount of um, progression this particular tournament. They dropped a soul. They've been, Philly have been reverse swept. There's a fun fact. I tweeted this out as well. Philly have been reverse swept twice this entire year. And Seoul has completed a reverse sweep against another team three times this year. So the team that is like the best at reverse sweeping is Seoul. They, their mentors must be fucking ironclad. And Philadelphia is—I don't know if they've—they've got a reverse sweep by Chengdu, and now they've got a reverse sweep by Seoul, and it just feels like they can't catch a break. Both teams, for what it's worth, uh, we're playing a lot of Arista stuff, um, so there's there's a bit of Winston. I'm actually seeing a lot of Winston coming back. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that answer, but a lot of teams are kind of going towards 
um, some more Winston Zarya double bubble again. I think Hotbur in particular is forcing a yeah. shitload of Zarya, oh, and in my opinion, yeah, they, they love to cost him a little bit. Hopper on Zarya. Yeah, I think that um, like because Hopper's like hero pool might be a little bit limited. Like I think he's just not very good at Diva, so that's probably why they're putting him on Zarya over and over and over like again. Just tank, to work that. I feel like if you're a flex tank, you play three heroes. Your your hero pool really shouldn't be limited, right? It seems like a weird thing. It's it shouldn't now, be limited. It's like Diva and Zarya is like, come on. It's quite common though, when DPS players are expected to play like seven heroes or something and a flex tank's like here you go you get three it's like half the hero pool for DPS really uh maybe yeah. I'm generalizing and simplifying and that's not fair but I don't know yeah just I mean, it's a little unfair just because like sometimes these heroes are so like stylistically relevant to each other you know? sure. it's like it's like asking the question like why are the best why are the best Winston players probably not the best Ryan players why are Winston mm -hmm. players not why are the best Winston players probably not the best Arisa players that's sort of thing. maybe, I mean, maybe Winston different, yeah. players are just a comparison it's because like the heroes are just stylistically completely at odds with each other you know yeah just complete opposites so it's like you... they're in the same role under the same umbrella like you, you need to have a different mindset to play the two different heroes to the top level so another team that's forcing a lot of Zarya's is Kalios on NYXL you I don't know if you have any thoughts on Zarya as a hero here or like the, the Winston Zarya double bubble because that seems to be teams are defaulting and I'm, I'm doing a bit of, I'm obviously back in Contenders career as well and I'm seeing a yep. lot of the Contenders career teams including the top ones like 02 there's a lot of teams going back to Winston you know return to monkey except literally right now they're literally returning yeah. to monkey as a strategy and it's just like I don't know where this is coming from that like teams are even starting to move away from ball back to Winston and there's fair few teams in YXL Fusion in particular that are hard forcing Zarya and I don't know if Zarya is good in my mind I, I, I don't think Zarya is particularly good right now but these guys just want to go to it. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, like, for the APAC region, like, Korean Contenders and APAC Al both, like, you, you know, you're talking about, like, Return to Monkey or whatever, but, I mean, like, that's just, like, that's just, like, the bread and butter dive that they all want to play. Like, it's the ultimate comfort pick. So I think, like, when they're when in doubt, when you're struggling on something, like, that's the first thing that they're going to turn to to try and play. It's like, if we're talking about play to strengths, like, that is, mm. that's going to be the strength of a lot of these teams. And then the teams that you mentioned, like, Mixel and, um, and Young Hopper, uh, like, that's the, that, that's the, like, Kalios and Hopper. Zarya is their strength. Like, it's their strongest hero. So I, I see why they want to play. Even though it's not, like, maybe better defining, it's just what they're best at. So I think that's why they run with it. And Joe, I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught this game. Um, there was the... Uh, it's the one that I cast. What was it again? It was the NYXL versus Chengdu game. And that was a really revealing game to me from both sides of the fence. And a little bit of disappointment from NYXL because their season uh is in jeopardy now because they go 2-2 this stage they're not guaranteed mm. to go to the countdown cup they've actually yeah. by the way finished their entire as you guys have finished the entire regular season oh, all 16 matches done and dusted you're in a much better place because you're guaranteed to knockouts nyxl are not there's a real shot that we may have just seen the very last nyxl game of the year it's done yeah. it's over because they're also bottom three they could be bottom three in apac which doesn't get them into play-ins play-ins for apac is brutal in terms of the cutoff you have to be top five top two go to texas three four and five go to play-ins and then six seven eight they're gone they're done they're finished for the entire year valiant are dead we all expected that charge are most likely gone and then it's between nyxl and hangzhou one of those two teams will not make it and that comes down to hangzhou's results if hangzhou play well if they do any well any, anywhere well versus chengdu NYXL are done for the year because we expect that the hangzhou i don't know if they'll beat charge i feel like they would um but nyxl versus chengdu is a matchup where i was trying to get towards is like obviously Chengdu are the fire team and NYXL looked like they had a good game plan versus versus Jimmy's on the fire and they ran a lot of Guangbong. Oh. he came out on the McCree floors in there as well uh they oh, were running oh, some yeah. double hit scam 
Uh, Flora was obviously playing a bit of Tracer. They were putting Nano specifically onto the McCree. So it was Jonak on Anna, putting almost 100% of Nanos onto Guangbong's McCree to try and deal with Jimmu. It worked for one map mm. on the Nepal, and then it just started failing. And these, these Nano McCrees just started looking like, please Nano anybody else, because you're just not hitting uh. the shots anymore. And Jimmu's abusing all the terrain. They got Rialto, and they used to Rialto's really good fire map. Jimmu fucking yeah. pounded on Rialto, and this guy's fire was just unstoppable. And this is versus a team wow. that specifically yeah, tried to build the composition to hard counter fire, and they majestically failed to do so. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes that's the thing where it's like, you can try to counter comp someone. You can you can try to find a solution to what people are doing. But if they're really good at what they're doing, like sometimes they just make it work. And I mean that that works in both directions. Um, in the sense that it's like you know sometimes, sometimes you're really good at playing like a counter, and sometimes you're really good at just like playing your stuff. Like sometimes you can genuinely play your stuff into everything because Chengdu like they love to play the fire so much. Like Jinwoo is just that good at it, and they do it so often. Like no matter how hard someone tries to pick like. A, like a lot of teams just not going to be able to pull it off because you're you're not losing off comp you're losing off skill mm. yeah yeah i i tend to agree that like when you're good at like you said if you're if you're so good at something that you can kind of force and and really make it work um it it does feel really really difficult uh i'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this kind of age-old you know, it feels like since the start of Overwatch, um, there has been this idea around trying to ignore Pharahs that are that are a little oppressive. Is there some weird kind of strategy that you could run to, you know, if if you can't necessarily answer it or mark it with a hit scan or even even investing the diva might be a little bit too much. But is there something that you can kind of just bust the tanks and maybe just overrun run the back Lucia, line to try run and, Lucia, run it? Yeah, yeah obviously you can't now, yeah, but something. Yeah, I think either you you match it with like a Pharah or some oh, sort of like oppressive so. hit scan pick, depending on the map. Like some maps is really good for Pharah, so hit scan isn't as good into it. Mm. But um, either you match it with like a hit scan or a Pharah, or you out tank it by just going really fast. So it's not really so much about busting the tanks. I'd say it's more about like getting on the back line, getting on like any vulnerable heroes. Like tanks aren't vulnerable heroes majority of the time, unless people are playing Zyre everywhere. But um, yeah, like for the majority of it, like you try to out tempo it if you're not going to match it, and that's mm. Lucio, and that's go fast. But that's just not existing at this yeah, stage because events. Yeah. You'll actually notice yeah. something here as well. Is like what, one thing that's quite interesting about this matchup in, in like Soul Chengdu game is they pulled Kalios off of Zai, which was is has been his comfort pick, much like Hotbar on the Zai as well. Uh, and they pulled it they pulled it away because Kalios has to go Diva versus Jimmu, otherwise it's a hard throw. You're playing against either the Sombra or most importantly the Fire here, and Kalios needs to match that. Um and another part of that that matchup to me was coming down to that fact that I just I don't know, I feel like Kalios just didn't really pressure Jimmu. You didn't see him flying in his face. You didn't see him DMing the Matrixes. You didn't even see him, sorry, DMing the Barrage. You didn't see him flying into the Barrage, just doing any of the typical stuff. Um, whereas I noticed, you know, you look at a team like yours where, where Hawk has been really on point with, you know, pressuring fires out and uh, just applying pressure and uh, putting time into dealing with fires. I mean, yeah, you guys are you guys a team that maybe are, are pretty more well-prepped to dealing with fire, maybe? I'm not too sure. Yeah, well, it could just be a skill thing, right? Where it's like, you know, maybe Nixel are playing Kalios on Zarya because they think that he's not very good at Diva. So then, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Either mm. you're playing Zarya into Pharah and you have nothing to deal with the Rockets, or you have Kalios on Zarya on Diva to deal with the Rockets and he's not good at either, right? Like, neither is a good answer. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the situation that they're in. Not trying to, like, aggressively shit on Kalios yeah, or anything yeah. like that. But, you know, like, if they're, if they're not playing him on Diva because he's weak on it, then they either have to play something that sucks into Pharah, or they have to play him on a hero that is So, damn if you do, damn if you die. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a yeah. comfort pick thing as well. I don't know, it just looked like a weird game. 
Um, it's it's got to be stylistically weird, like you said. It's it's really really bad in Nafara. Yeah, well. Um, I I think you know I think I mentioned this last show. I felt like the the double bubble and the um, the Zarya wrecking ball stuff. It seems to be pretty strong. Uh, it feels like into maybe Arista based compositions, and obviously Chengdu not going to be breaking that out a whole lot. They're they're predominantly a dive team, like we mentioned. Um, any any thoughts when it comes to Zarya into? something a little bit more bunkery is that something that maybe the main tank can exist in the the brawl a little bit longer maybe get a little bit more value yeah i mean i think people pick the zarya in an attempt to like enable their main tank harder you know like they want their right. their win sync can actually use the shift ability once if you have a zarya to, to enable it and stuff like that but right. overall i just think that it's not like the strongest concept into bunker the majority of the time that's like because you're banking you're banking so much on the main tank like you're putting more ace up onto it it's kind of like the thing that washington did sometimes where it's like they're often playing constantly like really heavily rely on like pocketing mag you know they're putting mag on winston and they're putting heaps of resources into him so it's like if mag isn't carrying on winston then like nobody else has any trade potential because they're playing a comp that is all built around pocketing him so mm. i think that like there's a the upside of playing things like zarya is that you can enable your main tank more but then your main tank needs to deliver at the same time and sometimes it's just unrealistic to expect them to do it all totally yeah makes perfect sense I think as we move forward as well, the only other team that um, had a bit of a showing this past weekend was Guangzhou Charge, which, you know, they've made some... I think they got better as a team, but unfortunately they, their two matches were against the quote-unquote best teams. I only put that in quotation because Shanghai has kind of taken it easy, but they still want to. Shanghai, they dropped in Molly for two maps, and I think... Actually, Molly played reasonably well, but you, you know Shanghai are taking it easy when they're just hard flexing their bench when they want to. And Eziaki mm. is a player that's been really popping off this year. So it's no slight against Molly. It's just that Eziaki is like God tier in comparison. But Molly came in, won a map, lost a map also. Yep. Um, in Guangzhou, they, they kind of got, in my opinion, hard carried by Eileen on the Hanzo. And as we said earlier in the show, I think Hanzo's been a bit of a sleeper pick, at least in my eyes. Maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the stupid person that didn't see Hanzo as a pick, but Hanzo came in as a bit of a surprise and Eileen really popped off. And in fact, if there was one thing that really shut down Jimu, surprisingly, it was Kareev putting a discord on Jimu's fire and then just Eileen shooting that dude out of the sky with the Hanzo somehow. And that, that ended up working. Kind of yeah, wild. I mean it's a it's a creative strategy, but you know, I do think the thing with Shanghai is that like if you see who are you on Molly in the starting lineup, yeah. like they're, they're taking the piss. Like, <laughs> they're taking the they're, piss. They're, <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't want to I don't want to shit on develops specifically because I think develops actually like a really really good player. It's just like you know with all the metas that have been played so far this year, like it's it's never a double hit scan meta. Quite no. fucking insane at Tracer too. So it's like. They have a starting six that is permanently six. Those yeah. other three players are just there for So there, <laughs> there's like a couple things. Uh, we we're about to reach about two hour now, two hour ishes. We're probably heading towards the end wow. of the show now. But a couple of things I still want to touch up on really quickly is, and this is going to be an interesting one for you, Hunter. So feel free to say as much as you want as you're allowed to say, or just fucking tell me to shut up if if this is if this is not something you want to get into at all. But I think one of your main opponents is going to be Chengdu, and they are uh, pretty much guaranteed in. We already teed that up. Uh, beyond that as well, they've really shown their hand, I think, over the past week, and they will continue doing that over the next weekend as well. I don't think they have much of a hand to show. Their, their hand is like three cars, and you've seen them all by now. Um, yep. You you are almost guaranteed to be going up against a team that is going to be hard-forcing a fire that is a fire-based team that's going to dive you with a ball. This is what they play. This is all they can do. You've... You may or may not have seen a team like NYXL try to hard counter with McCree. Nano and the McCree doesn't quite work in there. You've seen, you may or may not have seen Guangzhou do something with Eileen on the Hanzo. You've seen 
different teams try different options versus the fire and everyone for whatever reason seems to fail against the Jinmu fire what do you what do you think is the answer and again this might be tricky because i don't want you to show your hand in terms of like oh this is what we're going to do against chengdu in the tournament don't do that but like i don't know if you if you have any general thoughts on how do you how do you beat this chengdu team if you know you're going yeah. up against them i mean i think it's it is super map specific and then like also for this burn set because there's no this year it's like impossible to out tempo the farah so i think um on match where Farah isn't good, you're just not going to match it. You're just going to play like the strong pot game counters and trust in your against game player to get it done, depending on the map. But then for the Farah maps, I think you, genuinely probably your only option to really make it work is to, to match it. Because if it's a good Farah map and you can't out tempo it, you have to match it. That's my mm. philosophy at least. So yeah, I think for Chengdu, it's like, is it a good Farah map? If so, we're probably playing Farah. Is it not? Maybe not. But yeah, you know, you know, it's not like you can't pound Farah. Yeah, Pelican's going to be yeah, in some Pelican's... 2v2 training yeah. between now and then, I'm sure. Which is so I mean, I'm, sure, I'm sure Pelican will, Pelican will catch up on his midi practice. But at the end of the day, <laughs> like, we'll have to wait and see with Chengdu. Like, mm. It's not like I've been sitting down studying Chengdu's VODs, preparing for Hawaii. I've been sitting down watching the VODs of our opponents. But, exactly, like, yeah. you, know, you got to get Hawaii to first, right? Yeah, so it's, um, it's definitely about... You plan for those opponents once you get there, just because you don't have time. You just don't yeah. have time. Now we have our week off, but again, like we're not going to be watching the APAC boys. We're going to be watching no. the teams that are playing this week so there. we can actually get there. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes sense. We'll figure it out when we get there. Anything to add on that, Joe? Um, yeah, it is a conundrum. It's difficult. I think um, the surface area of what you can kind of rush on to, um, maybe even with like a Symmetra, is, is tough. There's not a ton of like targets to pick. Obviously, with the support line on is the only target that you can kind of really jump on, but then you're there's a lot of stuff to get in the way of that. It's it, it is bizarre. It is bizarre. I I do like the idea that you can kind of mirror it if you can pilot that. Then that's definitely a tool that you can kind of call upon. Um, but yeah, it's just just like the hit scan maps where they're going to force it. They're going to kind of just run it into you, and if you can get them off of it, Chengdu that is. Um, Jinmu's Sombra is it has improved, but it's not his best hero. Obviously, yeah. sure. so I think there is there is ways of trying to mitigate it as best you can, um, but yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough if especially if you can't run it, or at least well. Yeah, but I don't think Atlanta will have an issue. We have a fair player, so exactly. not, um, not yeah. completely terrified of it. But no. yeah. it's definitely like a unique problem because you know, like he's what is this? He's one of the oh. best. Oh, that's the yaks there. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Dongman. That's the uh, translator for, for your team. I don't know if he's got... He might be a player manager as well. Um, Just trying to follow this year. Good night. Good night. Yeah, it's, it's probably getting a bit late for you guys. So we're going to end with something fun here, which is... And this is a rare thing that you... I think a lot of people never get to really get into the minds of or think about. And this is... Not like a hyper competitive question that reveals anything, but it's just kind of for fun. Is that you know when Overwatch two eventually releases in five oh, to ten wow. years, um, like from your POV oh. as like someone in the Overwatch League, a coach or even from a player POV, like maybe even for competitive purposes, like what do you what do you want to see? Like what do you what do you what do you oh, need here? Like what is the what, what are things that need to happen to to move the game forward? It's just like a fun, I don't know, interesting thing. I don't know honestly. Like um, I like the state of Overwatch. I, not really. I like the state of Overwatch 1. You know, I think that it's a good game, balance-wise. I think that like if they kept adding stuff to Overwatch 1 instead of having like a near 2 then year lull in all forms of development. True. <laughs> but at the same time, like but even when it was unbalanced, I mean, I like the game. Like I like 
that the game changes. I think that Overwatch 2, it's not like I have this big wish list because I don't even know what Overwatch 2 looks like anymore. Mm. Now it's hard if I get with one tank and stuff like that. So like, I don't even know what the game plays like anymore. I don't, know, I don't even know if I'll like it anymore when it comes around to Overwatch 2 because they're going to have to so significantly change the core gameplay to balance it around 5v5. But I mean, all I want to see is just what I want to see with Tron, which is like more regular balance changes. And, like, just, you know, like add more maps, add more heroes, shit like that. Keep the game fresh because the game is no longer fresh. You know, they took Horizon Lunar Colony out of the pool like two years ago to change it and they just forgot about it. Same <laughs> <laughs> so with Paris. You know, people are happy to see 2CP gone, but we still have to play 2CP every fucking week. Like, it's just, you know, there's no variety in the game anymore because they don't, don't change anything because they don't even develop it anymore. So it's like, you know, now it feels like once every month or once every two months, they'll go into the patch notes and they'll like do the percentage up on a slider for one hero and move another one down. And that's the core gameplay change. Like there's nothing happening anymore. So Overwatch 2, mm. I just want to see more change. Okay. I want the game that, to be fresh. That being said, yeah. uh, we're going to go back to one thing you said. The, the game is balanced because there has been no new heroes and no additional changes. The one thing that always causes the game to get thrown up in the air in terms of balance I have, I believe, is like new heroes being added, kind of throws things against the wall. Uh, and, you know, shit hits the fan pretty often. When I don't mind that. Coming. I don't mind that. Yeah, but they need to be willing to change it quickly. Yeah, like yeah. A, mm. Genji shouldn't be busted for like two months straight. Like the last sure. year, you know, they made Genji really OP and it stayed for like a really long time. It should just be, it should just be faster that they make the changes. You know, if something appears broken, then change it, and then it, it shouldn't take like a a month and a half long development cycle to change the like damage number on his shuriken from 30 to 28 or whatever they did you know like mm. it just they're just so slow to do all this stuff they're so slow to take on all the pro feedback they, they rely way too much on like literal plats who have no idea <laughs> about the balance of the game like you watch the people playing watch two at blizzcon and they yeah. just you know, look like <laughs> yeah, we'll get some uh, hopefully one day the beta codes will get given out to some pros and you can have some real fun with that um for the overwatch league in particular um with regarding like more frequent balance changes obviously totally agree with that um but as it's implemented is there a worry when it comes to specifically coaching and kind of figuring out this the state of the game is there a worry that they could implement it to the league itself on the tournament client a little bit too fast to kind of cause like a lot of just flux or would you rather that kind of be paced out much like the stage system has been thus far like do you want those changes to happen immediately for the league or do you want them kind of spaced apart i think the cadence has been pretty good this year in terms of like how they you know, they implement it on a stage by stage basis so i think that's good but i just meant more generally for the game in terms totally. of like okay. the game feeling like healthy and like making the pros enjoy it would be like more regular change things like that um but yeah i mean obviously there are like some difficult implications for the game mm. for a second. if they're changing the balance every week mm. within stages especially like when they have long tournament cycles it's not fair to change the balance in the middle of that cycle because they yeah, it, it's just completely unbalanced to do yeah. that from a change standpoint. So yeah, I mean, there's a fine line to tread, but I do feel like they just, they always make really small changes and then they'll just like randomly make one big change that makes something really broken. It'll take forever for them to fix it. So it's just, it's odd when they do that. Like they'll push something to the uh, the test realm and people will say that it's broken and they will just push it to live anyway for no reason. It's like people will see the, the patch note and instantly say, this looks fucking unfair. And then it's live. Like, they just recently pushed ball changes to live where people saw them. They saw them in writing and said, this looks okay. And they just pushed it to live anyway. Like, no questions asked. No discussion whatsoever. It's just live. I just kind of brought up the discussion because I know your team, uh, when, the, when the whole 5v5 thing came out, Gator and Hawk were quite outspoken about it. Um, and it just seemed like a... Jobs, so... Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think, yeah, that is true. I mean, the, the players obviously have... Um, 
have a different stake in it um so there's there's that whole thing as well but uh interesting discussion thought i'd just get your your point on that and uh otherwise man joe unless you got any other closing thoughts no, I mean, uh, I could sit here and probably pick his brain for hours, but uh, I know that things are getting late yeah. uh, out in Atlanta, so the only thing, yeah, uh, I think it's a good place to stop. The only thing I've dis- I'm disappointed in here, Max, is you guys have removed all the cocks off the wall, and don't uh, you get your minds out of the gutters. I mean the sponsor, COX, so, you know, no more cocks on the wall is a bit disappointing. Other than that, though... <laughs> I got my nice Overwatch League Coca-Cola tumbler. Oh, oh, there you go. I don't think there's no more Overwatch League next Coca-Cola, so all right drink up mate uh well you have a great night and look forward to your matches coming up and the knockouts of which you'll you know one match away from going to hawaii you're looking for some really good points and a strong end to the season and no matter what you guys will be guaranteed to play in so you still have plenty of season ahead and i'll uh, i'm sure everyone will be keeping a keen eye on that but it's been great to catch up mate it's been long overdue i wish you all the success and i'm sure we'll talk again in in due time have a really good night thanks for being on the show and yeah we have at a bare minimum a single elimination match to determine whether we get to play in the playoffs so yeah great all right thanks this episode brought to you by battle crab refined bean bronze bot buhal char a chris r34444 fabled steven hunter tain cashier 67 lolshin rexane sir girth a lot warmer d yiska's orpus center shower gel and your misery